What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The following is brought to you by the PLD Projects Network. It's me. It's me. It's PLD. The following is brought to you by the PLD Projects Network. It's me. It's me. It's PLD. PLD. PJ Campbell. Two mediocre white dudes on film. Because frankly, we know you don't have enough of that in your life. So we're here to give you more. And without further ado, here are two mediocre white dudes on film. You almost missed the numbers, PJ. No, I was about to say it. You fucking stepped on my joke. You asshole. You stepped on my joke. I have yet. Why do I be like that? Because I have yet in our entire run together been able to say numbers first. So I finally got to beat you first. I waited till you were a little bit distracted. Hit record. I'm not distracted at all. I was watching. I can multitask. I'm very good at multitasking. Not quite good enough. I beat you. No, 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 no. You stepped on my fucking words. You were. You're a menace to society. Not I, to be confused with the movie from the 90s. No, definitely not that. I'm getting way too white for that. Yeah, you are. <laughs> we both are. We're both too mediocre and white. Um, that's who we are. That's how we are. We're two mediocre white guys on film. That's a, that's it's like the name of this podcast or something. It, it might be. I don't know. I don't know where I got that. Is that from. what I've that heard? Might, that might be where I got that from. I'm not sure. But. Maybe. I don't know. That's weird. Okay. Well, you know, <laughs> at least we're honest. Um, man. I got to say, I did a thing today. You did a thing? Oh, tell me about your thing. I did a thing today. Uh, I decided that I was going to go see that new Elvis movie. Oh, okay. Uh, Because I like like Baz Luhrmann. Not really. Like, he's fine. But you have to see a Baz Luhrmann movie on the big screen because it's usually, like, gaudy and excessive and feels like someone put five or six adrenaline needles in your heart. And I was like, what a great time to go see this on a Sunday afternoon while you're so stoned. (laughs) <laughs> and just like let the three hour Elvis movie happen. That sounds and amazing. honestly, yeah, honestly, one of the best theater experiences I've ever had in my life. That makes me very happy. Um, I gotta say, because we're usually so alike on things, Boz Lerman is a person who we definitely tend to differ on. I'm a big fan of Boz's earlier stuff. I mean, I haven't seen all yeah. of it, but I love Romeo and Juliet. Moulin Rouge is one of my favorite theater experiences in my lifetime. Um, I do love a lot of his, his, his work, so I've been looking forward to Elvis. I had the chance, though, to go see a movie today. I did not see Elvis. 
Oh, I was gonna get there. I was gonna get there. Okay. You're, you're gonna step on it. Absolutely. I wasn't. I, won't, I wasn't I won't done talking about the movie. Okay. I wasn't done ahead. talking about the movie. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Go ahead. Tell, tell me more about your, your experience. <laughs> well, okay. Number one, I wanted to be like, yeah, I'm kind of with you. Like, I like Moulin Rouge, but I actually prefer it on stage. As weird as that sounds, like, there's something about seeing it on stage. It works a little bit better. I almost like the story more because it's a little less Baz Luhrmann, if okay. you will. All right. Because it, it's not as excessive and in your face. Like, it is. Don't get me wrong. It's a Broadway show. They are also gaudy and excessive. But it's a little bit cleaner, and I can enjoy it a little bit more, as weird as that might be. I still like the movie. But, like, I'm going to sound real dumb. And I was having this conversation with uh, Tim, our friend Tim, uh, mm-hmm. our mutual friend Tim. And we were talking about this yesterday, actually, at the bar. And I was like, I like his attempt at Romeo and Juliet. Like, I can appreciate what he's going for, but I don't like the movie. A big part of that is, to be honest, I'm not big on Shakespeare, like, just as a thing. And so I have a hard time getting past the Shakespeare of it all. Like, that plays a big part in it. And then there's The Great Gatsby, which is, like, The Great Gatsby is a movie, gaudy, excessive, just as it should be, feels real shallow. Probably <laughs> like it should, but I don't know, like, almost too shallow? Interesting. I mean, I always thought it was very shallow, but it feels like that's, like, the most important story is that there, it's a shallow. That's what I mean. Yeah. But maybe that's so, why I don't like it. It's kind of like, I'm about to say something super unpopular, and we have had this conversation. It's okay. Stanley Kubrick and Christopher Nolan for me. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. They're, oh, they're not human filmmakers. They're like, grand, right? they don't understand human emotion <laughs> in the same way that, like, a Spielberg or a Scorsese does to me. Like, they're very different. <laughs> oh, stop this. You know what? You know how I feel about this. And that's not like I'm not saying that the movies are bad because I know people are going to be like, oh, look at PJ. He's saying all this shit and he's a fucking idiot. And it's like, no, no, I appreciate what they're going for, but it just doesn't click with me. Like, I don't really enjoy watching Stanley Kubrick's movies because they're cold and isolating. And I know that's the point. But I'm the kind of person who's like, man, remember when Steven Spielberg was going to make Interstellar? Give me that movie. Because oh, Steven Spielberg has oh. so much heart and so oh. much, like, love, and he feels so human, and Christopher oh. Nolan does it because he's a fucking robot from oh. space. Oh, attack any of the movies you want. Don't just leave Interstellar. Leave Interstellar alone. Leave Interstellar Only alone. Christopher Nolan. Only Christopher Nolan could be like, guess what? Love comes down to numbers. <sighs> That's such a beautiful sentiment, though. It's, no, it's, it's encoded in our DNA. It's encoded uh, in everything about it. I, I watch it in the cellar and I ball up every single time. Every single time. Matthew McConaughey delivers a spectacularly human performance. Nolan directs the hell out of that movie. It's got one of Hans Zimmer's greatest scores. That is a near-perfect film, and I will hear no slander about Interstellar. Say what you will about Stanley Kubrick. Say what you will about most of Nolan's movies. I will not hear any slander about Interstellar. That's a podcast episode we're going to have to do at some point because we're going to get heated against each other, I think. I'm already getting a little heated. <laughs> But it's been good fun. You know what? I'm already feeling sick that day. I like our friendship <laughs> too much to put it, uh, put it on the line over Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. I'm going to be honest with you. I like our friendship too much to, to do that. But I'll say this. Um, all things being equal, as far as this all goes, of the Elvis of it all, right. uh, because of my feelings towards Baz, because of my feelings towards the marketing, I've not been like super wowed by the trailers. And yet, for some reason, I couldn't help but look like be fascinated by it. And I kept being drawn to it, even though I wasn't like excited about it. 
I like Elvis, but I don't love Elvis. Like I here's the thing. There's a great John Carpenter TV movie starring Kurt Russell that came out in the seventies. And to me, like, that's all I needed. That's Elvis. Like, that's fine. You know what I mean? Like, but Baz went full Baz and it actually works. It's especially because the framing device of it being from Parker's perspective, because Tom Hanks's character is telling the story. And so because he's the one telling the story, it almost feels like the way his mind works is he was known for wanting to be a showman. And so the movie from his perspective, feeling like this gaudy monstrosity of like just showman esque excess and things like that really actually worked. And Austin Butler gives like a once in a lifetime performance. This dude is a fucking star. Nice. I'm telling nice. you right now. Uh, I, I honestly don't know that much about him, but I was so blown away by his performance. If he is not, at least nominated for the Oscar next year. We've done something horribly wrong. Honestly, he should probably just take it home now. He's All right. that good. Wow, that's pretty intense. Well, I'll let you know how I feel when I see it, because I am looking forward to seeing it, hopefully, the next couple of weeks. Hopefully it's still in the theater by the time I get to go. I'm so fucking busy recently with stuff. But... Huh. Well, however, you and I both saw a movie this weekend. <laughs> we did. You did just see a movie this weekend, yes. Uh, I chose. I only had. I only had one day to see a movie, so I chose to see this movie instead of. You chose wisely. Elvis. You chose wisely. Oh, it's definitely more up of our. I think it's definitely up both of our wheelhouse in both of our wheelhouses, so to speak. We're talking, of course, about the Black Phone, directed by Scott. Scott Derrickson, the Black Phone. Scott Derrickson's the Black Phone on a about a Joe based on a Joe Hill short story, uh, son of Stephen King, and uh, starring Ethan Hawke. And I think that's the only really notable person. Is anybody else that's notable? I mean, Jeremy Davies is uh, for for fans of like Lost and Justified. Right. Like he's a guy that you'll recognize immediately because immediately I went, "Oh my god, Jeremy Davies!" And I was and Saving Private Ryan is like maybe his most memorable big screen performance. Right, that's about right. He's very young in it, but he is yeah. in Saving Private Ryan. But right. he, in my opinion, is one of the great character actors of our age. Um, he's just really, really wonderful. So I actually didn't realize he was in this. So that was actually a very nice surprise when he popped into the movie. Yeah, I will say I, I mean, obviously, I will say real quick before I go talk about this any further. If you haven't been just to make your way to on film before and you haven't heard us uh, talking about movies, you realize that we have extended editions of our podcast. And uh, somehow we will get to the episode that we were going to talk about today, which I won't say now. But you might have forgotten. If you've forgotten, it'll be a surprise. Have uh, we even said it, to be honest? I don't think we've said have anything we said yet. said that we're, what we're actually here for? We have not. We have just gone right into our extended edition of Bantering. You're welcome, Richard. Uh, I mean, look, that to be fair, that's the way we live at this point. Uh, and we keep getting weirdly like patted on the back for the fact that we're doing this. I don't, I don't people really like the the extended <laughs> runtime and the banter and like thank you. Yeah, we'll take it. I'll take it. That's what you want to hear, we'll give it to you, that's for sure. Um, but going back to the black phone, I mean, maybe it's something I would like to do a full on episode about at some point because I really did appreciate almost everything about it. Like I had no real weaknesses in the film other than maybe that the first 20 minutes was a little slow, but I don't know how I would, I don't know how I would have cut it down because it really helped 
um, get to know those young kids and characters and everything else. And so it really worked also as well. But that's the only like negative about it, I think. Because like, I love the fact that it is a film set in the 70s. It kind of feels a lot like Stranger Things in a way, the season, like season one of Stranger Things in terms of like it's made for the 70s. It felt like a 70s film or early 70s, early 80s kind of film. Um, right. But even, even the, even the imagery, even the grainy imagery at times and things of that nature. Um, great. Ethan Hawke does a wonderful job. He seems to work really well with Scott Derrickson. Um, there is not much I can really say against the film. It's, it's very well thought out, well crafted. The story is, is solid. I mean, I even say one of my favorite parts about it is, is Jeremy Davies in, in general because that character could have been was in most movies, in a lot of movies, would have been just the stereotypical alcoholic, abusive father in a way. But mm-hmm. they really made him a real character. Yeah, he's 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 definitely an asshole at times, and definitely is not the greatest father. But he's not like the usual black or white kind of thing. It's a very gray character, and I I loved it. I so really much. appreciated that, to be honest, because I think that's actually a thing that gets overlooked a lot in some of the better Stephen King movies and overall, and even his books. And then Joe Hill, similarly, because the, their writing is incredibly similar. Don't get me wrong. Joe is doing his own thing, but like oh, wow. there's a hundred percent, a very similar nature to the two. And yes. I think that they've always presented very interesting, dynamically gray characters where like there's good and bad on both sides, but that makes them complex. Like the Shawshank Redemption is a perfect example of that. Uh, also similarly the mist the mist is another perfect example of that like there's these very great stories that these characters inhabit by these writers that really kind of get that morally gray dark area that life is not always as black and white as people want to believe it and i thought that was like really really great um i can't get over how good Ethan Hawke, Scott Derrickson, and C. Robert Cargill are as, like, a trio at this point. They've worked together a couple of times now, and, like, both times they are movies that I've been very, very, very impressed by. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, I don't know if it's been a bit since I've seen a Blumhouse movie, but did you catch the, like, Blumhouse opening logo now? is like Myers? Yeah. I I was so like, well, this is kind of cool. Like, what is this? Like, I was I was not anticipating that sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like, it was kind of cool. Right. Now, here's the thing. We've been talking about Ethan. We've been talking about how good he is. But I got to say, Mason Thames and Madeline McCraw uh, as Finney and Gwen, who are the leads of the film, are two of the best young actors I've seen in a movie in a very long time. Um, It's. It's so funny because I think about this a lot. Horror tends to give us a lot of really great actors and actresses that are young, giving performances that are really, really interesting and really, really fun. And it puts them on the map. Like you look back and you look at the Drew Barrymore's and people like that, or even like a younger Jennifer Aniston, maybe a little different, obviously, but like, or McKenna Grace, the Haunting of Hill House, who is a newer one of this of what we're talking about heather o'rourke and poltergeist was similarly like what i'm saying is horror is always great because it pushes these kids who are in these horror movies to really have to act and when they do and they're really showing skill you notice right away 
because not everyone can do the thing that they're doing and it's always super impressive when they do. So I was really, really taken with their performances. Uh, Madeline McGraw is so great as Gwen. And I love the relationship between her and Finney, like that real brother sister dynamic felt so poignant and so fantastic and so real. And I really bought into their entire being because they live in a house where they're being beaten by a drunk father and all these things. But at the same time, like they love, they do love their dad. They've lost their mom. The dad is clearly lost himself since their mom died. And I just kind of like the way it was built, but even Mason Thames, dude, what a fucking performance because he has to do so much of it kind of on his own. It's just super impressive. No, I will I agree. You were a hundred percent acting. I agree. I couldn't agree with you more on this. Um, they, a lot of times, young acting, young actor, definitely a crapshoot. We talked about that before. Talked about McKenna Grace really stealing the show for Ghostbusters and of that nature as well. Um, these are two kids that were very kids have a hard time acting real. Like they kind of feel like they're precocious, or they kind of feel like they're not quite there. It's just it feels like a performance. These kids just feel like kids. They feel like real legitimate kids who live this life, live this world, live their truths. And they know what they're doing with it. And they again, yeah, you're right, Mason names really spot on. I loved Madeline McGraw. I thought she was hilarious at times and like really down to earth at times. I mean I love the whole sequence when she's praying. She's like, like fuck you, Jesus. <laughs> what the fuck, Jesus? <laughs> the kind of thing that goes into that. Right. Loved it. Loved it so much. And also, got to say, to your point about bringing up the Jesus stuff, boy, what a throwback this felt like to frailty. Yeah. Uh, oh, but yeah. like frailty's other end of the coin, if you right. will. I get that. Uh, I, I don't want to get too much into the why of it all, because obviously it's only been out a couple of days and I want people to go see it. But like, I actually rewatched frailty last night when I came home because oh, I was so like, wow, like they pair really well and straight up. They pair so well together. Like, it was really interesting. And they're both period pieces on top of it. So, like, just kind of fascinating, to be honest. And actually, I didn't realize this movie was going to be a period piece. It makes a lot of sense, actually, in hindsight. I'm so used to all of us having cell phones and stuff. I never stopped to think twice that this was set in the 70s. I feel like more and more you're going to see that a lot of times. And I, I, it's for good and for bad. I think it's good for a lot of reasons. I think the bad of it is only because sometimes I feel like it's a way for writers to be able to put people in peril um, that they can't get out of. Oh, they don't have cell phones back then. They couldn't just use a cell phone and get out of whatever trouble they're in kind of thing. So I don't know. It could be a lazy way of doing it, but that's not what they did here. This actually felt like, as I said before, like a pointed attempt to really so hone in on the time frame and use that time frame as like almost like a character in and of itself. Um, the other thing I want to throw in at before we got to leave this because we're actually going to do a full episode on, on the black photo. We don't, if we don't stop this short, we save it for the real, real thing. Um, the last thing I do want to mention is that what I love about this also, and I, I have not read the short story that's about, um, I have I not would, either. Actually, I, I want to go too. buy it. I do want it as well. It does not at all over explain itself in any fashion. Nope. And I, I kept felt, felt, I kept feeling like it was going to at points and I was, I was very happy. It didn't. Like they have this whole thing where you've seen it. If you've seen the trailer, you see Ethan Hawke and these masks and things like that. There's obviously a really funky backstory there with Ethan Hawke's character that we never find out about. We just know he wears these masks for whatever reason. At one point, uh, I don't want to give anything away, but there's a moment where like something comes off. It's like, okay, wow, this is really something really deeply get in his psych, psyche. But we don't know what it is and we never find out. And I love the fact that we don't find out. And similarly, um, their mother, the kid's mother, 
uh, I mean, this is not a spoiler, really. You find out that um, Madeline McGraw's character, Gwen, does have dreams that are real. She dreams in a real situation. I think you get clues from his kind of psychic or of some kind of psychic medium of some kind, psychic dreams. But we find out the father that the mother also had these kind of things. But you know, we don't go much into it. We, and we know it's a tragic backstory. The father says that eventually she like, you know, killed herself because of it kind of thing or something. They saw stuff that wasn't there. And it's actually why he's an alcoholic now and everything else. But yet they resist the urge to find out the whole story about it. We just know yep. that this is the situation that they're in. It doesn't really have to do with the story that we're trying to create. It just is like a detail that's around in their lives. And I love that fact. I love when they pepper in things like that and leave it to our imaginations. I actually thought that was such a brilliant move because I feel like to your point, horror tends to over-explain itself, especially these days, and not just horror, just in general. Like, we see this a lot, prequel movies to things that you don't necessarily need, but this movie didn't do that. Like, it kind of reminds me of Silent, going from, you know, Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs down to Young Hannibal, or Hannibal Rising, rather. Like, no one was asking for how Hannibal became Hannibal, and I'm really glad this movie did not go out of its way to try to explain why the grabber is the way that he is like right. it just is and you accept it and yeah, that's 100%. that's it and hawk is so fucking creepy and so, oh, good. so good and you're totally right i wanted to go back to your point about cell phone stuff i've heard this before is like at this point lots of horror writers are trying to find their best way around getting rid of cell phones before things start i don't remember where i read this quote because it's like if you can't get rid of the cell phone it really kind of dismantles the movie because right. the whole point of cell phones kind of takes away. Us. Yeah, it connects all of us. So I'm glad that there's so many things like this. Like, going backwards, it makes sense. Because, look, in a world now, if you made Friday the 13th now, it'd be so hard to take it seriously if these people were out in a camp and someone killed even one person. Like, everyone would have their be on their phones, texting, right. whatever. You know what I mean? Like... That's why I, I loved X. X was also a throwback picture. Like they, it was a period it. piece. You should see X. I, I think you'd really like it. I, I really uh, want to see it. But similarly, they made it a period piece. And that's the stuff we're seeing a lot of these days is period pieces because guess what? There's no cell phone. Mm-hmm. And we can just kind of do the thing that we kind of do. And I like that. It makes it simple. Yeah. I and agree. sometimes simple is good. Fully agree. I, I'm all on board with it. So that makes me happy. Although, the funny thing is, is be maybe hypocritical. There's a small part of me that didn't want anything in this movie, but part of me wouldn't mind seeing Ethan Hawke's character in another movie, like getting his backstory like in a different movie. We don't need it, but I don't know if, I, I don't we know don't if I'd... don't need it, but I wouldn't I'd... also be against another movie about the grabber, to be honest. Because like I'm kind of like I, I do want to know more about it. That that's what it does, though. It lets you want. It makes you want more. And instead of like trying to, you don't need to answer everything right away. Get those things open. So. Oh way. wow. Well, okay. Apparently, by the way, so I looked this up while we were sitting here. This month, in a interview, Derrickson says that Joe Hill has already pitched him a wonderful idea for a sequel that he would do if the first film was a success. Ooh, and considering the box that, office right. so far is so doing so well, actually, yeah. I think there's a world where they might be able to do it. I think so too. I'm all for it. That's a great idea. All right. Well, there we go. There we go. 
That's it, though. We can't do anything more else. We'd be actually doing a full episode of the of the uh, of the grabber and the black phone. Man, you see, uh, here you here you are. You're just like stepping all over everyone. You got to make everything boxed into its certain box. <laughs> People tell you that they like when we're like rambling and stuff, and here you are just being like, "No, we got to shut it down. We got to shut it down." It's called an episode. You an episode about a topic, and then we do. <laughs> You had to get to the top. I don't, eventually. I don't know, man. I, I think that people are just here to listen to us, to be honest. Like, no, I, I, well, I, I'm all for that eventually. But I don't want to, I don't want to like do a whole episode on a movie during an episode on another movie. <laughs> oh, touch base, touch and go. I like that. I don't mind that. That's good. Why not? Why not do it two episodes where it's about two separate movies? You never know. We actually make this the Lord of the Rings Return of the King slash the Black Phone episode. Oh, hey, guys, we're talking about Lord of the Rings Return of the King today. Hey, 25 minutes. Hey, in. look at that. And we're finally saying the title of the film we're actually covering today. Oh, <laughs> dude, by the way, I want I found have you, when's the last time you thought about Dark Angel starring Dolph Lundgren? Because uh, I I just found out that Shout Factory put it out. Wow, that's pretty sweet. I know, right? You know, I'm so I excited. I do have to tell you that you're a big proponent of physical media, and I'm, I'm all for it. I mean, I don't have physical media because I got married. Most of my physical media went away. Um, but I do uh, have yeah, – See, so uh, do what I did. Get you, divorced. you get divorced, and you can keep building your movie collection. Fair, it's fine. Um, actually, absolutely building back up here and there. Only here and there because I have a brother that I like – I told you I found a brother – I'm adopted, and I found my brother last year, and he's a movie buff just Correct. like me. Um, he is also physical media, and he always likes to upgrade his cat fat, and he likes to shout stuff and all that kind of stuff, Scream Factory stuff. He likes to do all that stuff. Every once in a while, he'll go, oh, I upgraded this, so I'm going to give you this. And he gave me things, a couple of things. Like, cause I, I went to the Black Phone with him, and I got like the Godfather trilogy on Blu-ray, and I got the RoboCop collection on Blu-ray. I'm like, okay, cool. I haven't seen RoboCop in like years, so I'm going to have to do that. I've been so you're my Tim Franco. Yes, because anytime I upgrade, all of my stuff goes to Tim. That's fair. That's fair. Because <laughs> Tim is also rebuilding his movie collection recently, so I've been helping him along the way. Every time I upgrade something, I'm like, "Hey, do you have this?" And he'll be like, "No." And I'm like, "Do you want it?" He goes, "Sure." Is it free? Absolutely, Tim. Absolutely, exactly. That's exactly what it is. I grab it and put it in a little box, and eventually I'll get the horse and I'll. Uh, I love like to pay it forward, <laughs> right? Like we all take care of each other and. The thing is, is I spent the money on it. I want it to go to a good home. I want it to go to a place where I know it's going to get watched again. Like, that's 100%. the point, you know? So Absolutely. here I am just trying to fight the good fight, give out movies and talk about movies and enjoying movies and living your best All right, life. I guess, look, I guess, I guess we got to start talking about this thing because I, I don't want to – it's a four-and-a-half-hour movie we're about to talk about. Four Buck, four this is your fault, actually. This is all your Thank, fault, Brandon. This Brandon is Buck, all man. your fault. Uh, I spent my Friday night watching this movie, and I don't regret even a second of it. Oh, no, no. I, I did spend my Thursday, I believe. Was, this is actually, spoiler alert, we usually record on Monday nights and then we air on Wednesday. Recording us on Sunday night because I am heading off to the great state of California for a camping trip um, uh, tomorrow morning very early. It's now 11.58 hey, look, my I- time, and my flight I'm actually leaving the airport about four hours, so we got to get this in, and I can edit, so I can download this, edit out some like hip cops we had where I stopped because Kim called me, and then uh, <laughs> and get That's it ready true. to go. That is the thing that happened. But here's the thing: they don't really care that you're going to California. They care more that tomorrow night I wouldn't have been able to record with you anyway because oh. I'm going to go see the gate on 35 millimeter. Oh, that's right. You mentioned that too. That's well, I'm very, 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 very jealous of that. 
I am. I dude, I'm fucking I am so excited. You guys have no idea. Okay. So down here in Tucson, I think I brought it up on here before. We yeah. have a theater called The Loft and they do a thing called Mondo Mondays and it's always the best because they're doing movies like Chud and, you know, The Pit or you know, Return of the Living Dead. They're kind of like campy B movies. It's super fun. One of them was the Dark Angel movie, actually, the Dolph Lundgren one I just got on Blu-ray. Or also known as I Come in Peace in Other Countries. I don't know if you guys who knows it as what, who's listening. Um, the point that's is right, that I really right. like... Yeah, see? That's actually I know Look, that. I, I know more is I Come in Peace. I was like, I heard of that movie. I can't remember why I, I heard I it. I flipped though. the case cover, too. You, no one else can see it but you. Um, but the truth is, is that I love going to these B movies at any time because it means that I'm going with a crowd who wants to be there, who's laughing at the movie with you and enjoying the movie with you. And that rules. So I'm super excited to go see the gate because I love the gate and to see it on 35 millimeter. Are you kidding me? This rules. That is phenomenal. I can't wait for that. That's great. Uh, I, I wish I was there. I was too bad. You're not there. here. I've tried to get you to move to Tucson. I know. I know. That's actually one of the first horror movies I really sunk my teeth into when I was younger. I think because I felt like I could watch it with my parents around because it was PG-13. I think it was. I, mean, that's a, I think it was PG-13. Although it's a pretty dark PG-13, PG-13 fun. Yeah. Like, it, it's not like... I don't know. I just really, really like this movie. Um, it reminds so me of like a... It's a very 80s movie. It's like a, yeah. a horror Goonies almost in a way. Like the two friends are really close or anything else. It's kind of really bizarre and out there. But I loved it. I remember loving it growing yeah. up, so. I was really sad in the early 2000s, or the 2010s, rather. They were going to try to remake it. Alex Winter was supposed to do the movie. And I was like, man, Alex Winter, yes, that's right. The Alex Winter of Bill and Ted fame was supposed to direct it. And I was like, man, I would have watched the shit out of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. But either way, um, you successfully took us off track. And I'm actually going to keep us off track for a second. The other thing is, because I am in California, um, surprisingly enough, <laughs> you yesterday, although actually for us it's a couple of days from now, you're actually replacing me on class action uh, for Tuesday afternoon. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, you did it, so you, you already did it yesterday. No, I don't know what you're talking about. That didn't well, happen. Actually, no, that's right because it didn't happen yet. <laughs> well, it's man, a place they, the future for us. It's the past for you. Past, <laughs> past for the listener. Future for the past. Us. Yeah, and here's the thing. I guess I can talk about it because we did it. Like they, they only got me into this because they were like, look, we're going to talk about John Carter. I was like, all right, I'm in. And they were like, do you care about anything else? I was like, no. They're like, we're going to put it against Prince of Persia as the argument. And I was like, well, that's easy. John Carter wins by a fucking landslide. <laughs> and if those two Euro freaks didn't get on my side about all this, I'm going to be mad. <laughs> Mark it down now. We'll find out in a couple of days. I'm very interested to see how that goes down. Uh, <laughs> uh, if I never come back, you'll know how it went down. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll find out very quickly. I'll check out the thread and I'll, I'll see a rage quit from PJ from the uh, class action group chat we have. <laughs> Am I supposed to like take notes in this and like keep points? Like, how is that supposed to work? <laughs> what you're going to do, I'm going to go over this now. <laughs> We're going to go over the, basically <laughs> five categories. You're going to have to argue those five categories, which one's better. Well, that I know, but do that's I have it. to keep score? Does someone else keep score? Oh, you like, know what? That's actually a good question because I'm going to keep score. That's so, why well, I'm asking. Yeah, you'll because have to I'm it not, This is not the, my thing normally. I'm going to say Maddie is, is that I don't trust him. <laughs> well, you can keep score if you want. 
Matty doesn't even watch the extended versions of Lord of the Rings. How can That's I trust true. him? I can't trust him anymore. I've actually almost fired him three times since I found out. Dude, guys, you won't, you can't even understand the fights that we've been having with this dude in the chat recently for the our behind-the-scenes chat, where he was like, you know, it would be great if they'd start splitting movies up into, like, two or three parts again, because I have ADD and I don't want to wa- sit down and watch things, because I'm Matty Gunner, and I'm like, Matty, shut up. Sit just, down, just shut, shut up. up. He said he never finished The Irishman. Are you kidding me? How do you not finish it? How do you not finish a movie like that? Look, I'm not saying you have to like the movie, but at least see it to the end. You know what? You can break it up for yourself. It was a Netflix movie. Pause it if you have to. Absolutely. Then come back. Ugh. We're Fucking Matty Gunner. Gunner. <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't have this trouble with Brandon Buckingham, who obviously said he wanted us to watch the... Uh, the real versions, the extended versions, talk about them. So we did. Funny enough, I did say this. I didn't actually even have to watch this one. This is a movie I've seen so many times. I would, I could do this conversation without having watched it again. But I took the excuse to watch it again. And I'm so glad I did because I love this movie so much. And I actually found, I found that I gleam some new feelings from it this time through, which is impressive considering how many times I've seen it. Um, yep. Spoiler alert, we already talked about this before. Like, we usually at the end of these episodes, we talk about our scoring systems here, and like we usually rank them on a scale of 0 to 11, because PLD Pride is always turned up to 11. We rank all three of these films in Lord of the Rings trilogy 11s. They're all perfect 11s. So I guess what we'll do at the end of this film, at the end of this episode, instead of just ranking it the episode, we're going to maybe just do our... We'll actually rank... Since we've got all three of them got 11s from us, we'll try to put them in some kind of order as to which is our from three to one and see if we can do it um i, I mean i almost feel like it's impossible because it is because it is like one movie point. it's one fucking big movie there's like there's no other trilogy that i can say feels like one big movie other than this one i can't think of any other one that matches that even even my famed my favorite i mean star wars original trilogy will always have a special place in my heart and i will always say it's my favorite trilogy of all time and I would say it's still probably the best trilogy of all time for some for various reasons, but this one is one A. Um, I, I I actually posted this the other night while I was going to bed, and I was like, I'm going to be honest. I think that Lord of the Rings has finally taken my favorite trilogy of all time spot, and I think the reason being is that ultimately, at the end of the day, I feel like the truth is because it was one movie. Well, not one movie, one vision over one shoot over three movies. It's totally consistent. It feels concise. It feels like they really went for it. Like there's nothing in it that feels like it shouldn't be there or et cetera, et cetera. Like I'm so impressed every time I watch it, but especially now, just like it's such a perfect trilogy because it feels like an all encompassing vision and a story and that's why I, and I, and I could keep saying that forever and ever and ever. Cause the more I think about it, the more it just rings true. Like I love star Wars, but it's very clearly being made up as it goes. You know what I mean? Like 100%. that's okay. That's what Lucas was doing, but it doesn't Luke doesn't kiss Leia and empire. If you have a, you know, well thought out oiled plan. Yeah. Okay. I'll go with that. I'll go with you know that. what I'm saying? Like, so in that, being said, I think that Lord of the Rings wins because it was always meant to be this vision, this way, one director, three movies, shoot it all at once, make it happen, like, nothing quite like it. 
and I think it'll always be that way forever. And like the Hobbit doesn't really affect it because the truth is, is that this is a contained trilogy. The Hobbit doesn't really have its effect on it. Like I don't see outside of it in the end. These feel like a singular vision. It it really does. It really feels like just one. And that's because it was meant to be that way, you know, filming it back to back to back like that. Like it was meant to feel like it almost like didn't stop filming because it was so really, basically it really was. It's almost like what we said to Maddie. They basically, they did, Maddie, they did split up it. It was one 12 plus 15 hour movie. They split into three movies for us. That's what they did. Yeah. See, Maddie, there you go. Someone listened to your stupid idea and they went ahead and did it. You happy now? <laughs> God, Maddie. Oh, my God. Anyway, though, but like I'm saying, like I'm saying this is, but agree, um, this is where this has landed for me at this point, and I can't, can't believe that get to do this and talk about this movie because it's one of my favorites of all time. Um, we'll find out at the end where if we can rank them though in a certain order, like three, two, one. I think I will say before we get into the nitty gritty of it, which we're going to do now, I did find that while this does have some of my very favorite pieces of the of the trilogy, it does at times meander a little bit. There's a little bit of extra meat in there. They probably could have cut. You're down not convincing Maddie to watch the extended cut scene. I know. I know. I know. I'm not. I know. I'm not. I, and I, the thing is, I don't know exactly what necessarily it is. Um, I never really got into the whole. There's too many endings. I mean, there are a lot of endings. A lot of places where they could have ended it, but I like every ending, so I wouldn't really cut any of them. Um, I think they did a good job with, with choosing what to do when. Um, but I do feel like at times it felt like there was a little bit of a little bit of space that they could have like, maybe filled a little easier, if that makes sense. Um, which is why this might be a spoiler. I think it's wrong, be. but I'll I'll allow it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is. Let's just say. Um, but let's get right into it and see. We'll have, to, we'll have this, the rest of this conversation uh, after it's over. I just want to point out real quick before we jump into it. What a big deal that was that this came out when it did in 2003. It was really hyped up, obviously, coming off the first two. This was only the second movie to gross a billion dollars at the box office. Yeah. It was the second highest grossing film of all time at the time of its release. Mm-hmm. Like that that was no small feat considering the first two did not make that kind of money. At the time, the only movie that had had that kind of money made before it was Titanic. So this was a huge deal. Not only that, it then goes and gets nominated for 11 Academy Awards and wins every single one of them. Yes. Every single mo- every award it was nominated for at the Academy Awards in tw- 2004, it won. That's crazy. It's it, so crazy. It tied Ben-Hur and Titanic as the movie with the most Academy Awards wins at its time. Yeah. It's also the only film series, or trilogy rather, whose entries won all of the best visual effects Academy Awards, the Oscars, opposite Star Wars' original. So I just want to put the context there of how insane it is that this is like a 20-year-old movie almost, God, that hurts to say, and like how much has changed in 20 years. Oh, God. So much has changed in 20 years, and yet it does feel like this was made yesterday to a degree. It does really feel like I mean, I 100% agree with you. I, I don't – I think these movies have aged spectacularly. 
Yeah, I, I could watch it. I, there's nothing wrong with them as far as that goes at all. It feels like it was made. I I actually am interested in, I don't know if worried is the right word, but like the upcoming Lord of the Rings series, like I don't know if it can match how timeless this feels. That's the one thing that it feels. This feels timeless. Um, and you know why we can say that? Because we have it to we have something to compare it with, which is the Hobbit films. Yeah, like not every series can say that. Like, it feels timeless in a way because we can also compare it to something that is the same world from the same filmmakers that doesn't feel as timeless. Mm-hmm. That's the same core team, not nearly as good. Not um, nearly. yeah. I mean, look, Star Wars fans probably the same say the same things with the prequels. I was nine years old when the first one came out. Guess what? I really love the prequels. But there's a lot of people who do not, and that's unfortunate. And a big part of it is they'll point to it and go, look, you know, same thing. Look how timeless the original trilogy is, and then look at these prequel things. And it's like, eh, I don't don't really agree with that. That's okay. Yeah, I I fully agree. I love the prequels as someone who grew up in the original trilogy. Um, I watched the prequels. I lived through it. I lived through the time where the prequels were not... I feel like they're much more loved now than they were back then, for sure. And uh, there's a reason why is that they were very even even though I liked them, they were a very different, very different feel than the original trilogy was. Um, I like them all because I like Star Wars, but there's definitely a different sense of timelessness of the original trilogy that's not matched. In the previous, to be honest, with you. Um, but yeah, Ooh, so good. Um, yeah, no, it is. Um, so let's just. Get it out of the way. This again. This is a four and a half hour movie. So guys, we're gonna breeze through this as best <laughs> as possible. I think this is gonna be the greatest hits that is Return of the King and the stuff we like about it. Uh, which, by the way, David Wenham, who is in these, is also mm-hmm. an Elvis. Oh, is he? Yes. Oh, is he? Look at that. It was very funny that I was I was watching through these and I was like, hey, that's Faramir. Right. <laughs> we gave him uh, a lot so- of love last week from our Two Tower episode. We did. So I just thought that was a fun aside. But what's interesting about the start of this movie is that each one of the movies kind of has its own prologue. Uh, The first one, obviously, is the history of Middle-earth and leading to the ring. The second one is Frodo's dream of Gandalf and the fight with the Balrog. This one is Smeagol's origin. Yes. Yes. And it's so fascinating to me that each one of them have very distinctive kind of openings and they're all tied to like the bigger thematic stories and stuff. But this one in particular is so different because I remember being so surprised being like, Hey shit, that's Andy circus. Right. Like, actually Andy circus acting being and being so surprised that it has like this homicidally violent opening. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's, it's like we were actually talking about before black phone. Like we never got, I mean, it's a little tougher to say because this obviously has source material. So if you've read the books, you know about what happens for the most part, everything else. But if you haven't wa- read the book, you're just watching the movie, Gollum was kind of that creature. We had like a very brief introduction to Fellowship of the Ring. We didn't really even see him fully. We just heard the tale about We know that he was following the, the Fellowship. Got strong introduction to them in the second. But we didn't really have a true complete origin story for him. We just <clears throat> knew he was someone who found the ring and yada, yada, yada. We actually get to see his background now. It was like, all right, we've given you the taster. You know, here it is. Now you find out what led him there. And it's important. It's very important because we always hear Gandalf talking about 
how Oliver well, Frodo wants to kill him, wishes that Bilbo had killed him, and Gandalf shows pity and says that Bilbo showed pity. We're to see why. We're going to see that in the beginning, Smeagol was just a you know, dim-witted, maybe slow, it's like not a very intelligent hobbit, just kind of a salt-of-the-earth kind of... Kind of, kind of like a lot of the hobbits, to be honest, and that's yeah. not a dig, but hobbits yeah. are simple people. It's very simple, exactly. Just having a good time, fishing with his with his cousin, Deagle. Um, okay, we gotta work on these hobbit names, by the way. Like, why is it Smeagol, Deagle, like, all, every name feels like it needs... Yeah, whatever Tolkien just loves doing that. He just loves adding like the rhyme and that their brothers are, are family members and they have to rhyme. <laughs> Pretty much, that's oh, that must be a brother or relative because he's got this. He's got a, a similar name, uh, <laughs> but um, but it's so that, odd. It is odd, but it's a cool, very cool beginning. We get to see it happen. We get to see how quickly the ring corrupts uh, Spiegel, which is interesting. It's interesting when I think about it. I never really thought about it as much because here we are. We are shown. I guess in a way that this makes it clear that Frodo and Bilbo are special hobbits. Um, because if if you didn't know better, you almost felt like that the hobbits must have a stronger constitution um, as far as as far as uh, protecting themselves from being corrupted by the ring. Because obviously the men were weak and would fall for it. The wizards even say, don't tempt me with it, don't tempt me with it. But yet, here it is, Bilbo took a long time with that ring, and really only towards the end did he start feeling really uh, touched by it. Frodo, it ends up taking a long time to really get corrupted by it, although it's a little quicker because, I think, because obviously Sauron's getting stronger. Um, and he's but, getting closer to and closer. destroying it. Right, exactly. Uh, but here we learn that, no, the hobbits are just as susceptible, because Smeagol gets corrupted pretty much almost immediately kills his cousin. And, and what do they say? It's like 500 years or something almost, or yeah. however long it, they say that he's under the rings influence for like 500 oh, years, centuries, centuries later, this yeah. takes place centuries later. And it's like, Oh, okay, fine. Um, but yeah, you, you see him develop. I love the transition they take from the, the actual, I'm, I'm first of all, I'm also glad Andy circus got a chance to actually play himself or at least in Hobbit makeup. Less makeup than he usually wears. <laughs> so more Andy Serkis than Gollum is. Yeah, less less of a skin tight mocap suit. Right, but I liked watching how they de like evolved him. Uh, went there. There's one moment where it's like obviously CGI or computer graphics at some point. At one point, um, but yet it still worked for me. Was when he has like his eyes, he closes them, he opens yeah. them up, and they're like definitely more computer. But like it was cool looking. I, I appreciate that. Well, like it's the a great touch. Moment final touch of the yeah the evolution so we it's so funny because after all this we get to the first deleted moment from the movie it comes so early on in the extended version and we actually had this conversation while i was watching them there's very few things that i remember being added in over time because i only watched the extended versions for almost right. 20 years at this point exactly I have no um, idea what's the what's theater and and what's extended now except for a few sequences yeah and this one in particular is also the one that i'm always going to be the most dumbfounded being cut in general yeah and that's the saruman scene yeah because as far as the trilogy is concerned once you get to return of the king if you've never seen the extended version Saruman is never dealt with. Yeah, he's like just left that's so there. fucking odd. They just leave him in the tower and that's it. But they had filmed an entire sequence where he gets murdered. 
it makes no sense because it's like, yeah, exactly what you said. Like, here we are. Yeah, they, they, they prevented Helm's Deep from being taken over. What's stopping Saruman from just trying again soon? Like, they, there's nothing. But then, like, it's, but it was dealt with. The other interesting factor of this, of course, is that in the original material, in the original books, this kind of takes place at the very end. Um, there's the whole, book, the whole chapter about the scouring of the Shire, which basically, has this whole moment where Bilbo, uh, Bilbo, where Frodo and the other hobbits return to the Shire. We get to see that in the end of this film. In the book, Saruman and um, Brad Dorf. <laughs> I say Brad Dorf because that's more important than that. That's just what we call him. We just call him Brad Dorf. We don't actually call him anything other than just Brad Dorf. Brad Dorf. So Grima, so Saruman and Brad Dorf, the Grima, um, have taken over the Shire. Uh, in a, a weird kind of, it's always kind of weird when it came to the Lord of the Rings thing about because like he's such a grand wizard and you hear he is taking over a small little hobbit town, which always felt a little weird even in the books. And that's probably why one of the reasons they cut it at all because of the fact. Yeah, but I wanted to that, see the hobbits go to war with him. I'm not going to lie to you. And I, I, I get that to a degree. I get that to a degree. Um, but it made sense in it made sense to do it how they did it. Let's be honest. As far as that goes, well, that would have been a whole other ending sequence that would have been kind of anticlimactic compared to like defeating Sauron. (laughs) Yeah. But it's funny because then the theatrical cut of the movie leaves that open as a possibility as you're watching it. And it's like, is he going to show up at the end? Or is he going to be taking over the Shire? Oh no, apparently not. It just, he's just kind of there and he's, he's never dealt with again. Okay. (laughs) It's kind of funny. Not going to lie. But I did like it, but I like that we get this in the extended edition and it's a great scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, to be honest. Mine too. Really, which is it's one, I love the. It, it's one of the best, and I'm yeah. again, I'm shocked that they cut it. I don't, I don't even know why they cut it. Like I don't, I never heard a reason. A good I reason have to cut. assume it was a time thing because the movie is already three and a half hours. Yeah, and it's like it's a, it's not a short sequence. No, um, but it's a necessary one. So it I don't just remember feels how like they got the. Already, I'm sorry. Go ahead. They I just find it in the water. I think it, it's. Yeah, I think it literally is them riding up to it, and it's how he finds it. Like, it's in the water, because that's where he pulls it out of. I think it just is them walking up to it, him pulling it out of the water, and then they continue. Mm. Like, it's basically just cut down from the rest of it. Okay. I don't remember. I can't can't, because that's been that long since I watched the theatrical. I couldn't couldn't tell you. Maddie Gunner. I haven't seen the theatrical version of it since theaters. Yeah, exactly. So... I, I, I do think it's a great, powerful moment. You got, I love the fact that you get Theoden versus Saruman, Theoden being proud. But you also get Gandalf needling him, which is a big point of his character in the movie that, like, you know, it wasn't Theoden who saved the, who saved the Rohanians. It was definitely Aragorn and Gandalf. Is Theoden a failed king? He kind of feels that way in the beginning. He's looking for some, some vindication that he's a good king or something like that. But then at the same time, he doesn't let it, he only lets it bother him to the point of, like, of it being a character flaw. He doesn't like, he even reaches out to Grima Wormtongue. Now, Grima, you can come back. You are a man of Rohan. I will accept you back. We can get this under control. That's what, of course, is Saruman's undoing because he gets cocky and, and Grima stabs him. And of course, Legolas with a nice arrow shot, as always. And you get the, because of the cool, and we got one of the cool moments that you texted me during this. Peter Jackson loves watching people fall in his movies and likes filming people falling. Uh, this might yeah, be the does. best fall of the, of the saga. He uh, loves to do that camera where it like goes forward and then toes down and follows. Like he's obsessed with that shot. He did it a couple of times in these movies alone, mm-hmm. and it's not a thing that he stopped doing in his career. He's just always done it. 
Uh, this is one of my favorite versions of it, though, I got to tell you, because it does follow him a long way down. He hits that thunk on the wheel or the, the bottom there. It's a good, good sequence. It's a great sequence, and it's one that, again, it's baffling to me that it was ever cut, and I'm never going to understand it. Um, but, of course, at that point, you know, they, they're they with Mary and Pippin. They're all reunited. Uh, they get the Palantir, and then, of course, Pippin, being a fool of a toque, fool of a toque. decides to fucking touch the Palatin, or Palatir, I mean, and it becomes a whole thing where Sauron sees him and now thinks that Pippin's the one who has the ring. Right. And it's a whole thing because Pippin's a fucking idiot. Yeah, that's basically the gist. That's the gist of the whole thing, is that Pippin is a fucking moron, and that's what his entire character is there to fuck up so that uh, <laughs> things happen. He creates a lot of hardship for people. I got to tell you, though, you know what, though? I got I, I got a credit where credit too, or discredit, or discredit too, something. Mary, control your boy. Like, you see him doing this, you're like, oh, Pippin, don't. Oh, Pippin, don't. And then, like, he watches Pippin touch it, watches, like, the fire thing going on, watches him going, ah, and he's like, oh, Pippin, Pippin, Pippin. Dude, get Gandalf up at this point. Like, as soon as, like, he yeah. touches it, I'm like, Gandalf, wake the fuck up. <laughs> Not Mary, something, right? anything, <laughs> anything. Oh man, it's so funny. Um, but yeah, I, I love that moment as well. I love yeah, the scene where say, Gandalf is like, he got the the um, water pitcher. <laughs> they use the water pitcher to like the Indiana Jones set up the water jug. Yeah, and, and I just fucking Mary just stands there the whole time. No, I'm good. Look, I love these two characters, but like. Yeah, Mary, come get your boy. What, what What is this? Like, I know you can't control people really, but like, come on, man. What the hell are you doing? Like, <laughs> what are we, why are we letting are your we boy here? out here do this stuff? And of course, you know, so that creates problems. So Gandalf has to go. Well, Palantir Frodo, or Frodo, Pippin sees uh, Minas Tirith in his dreams. Yes. The idea is basically that Sauron is going to be attacking Minas Tirith shortly. So Gandalf has to go and take, uh, to warn them because. Ro- uh, Rohan, um, Baden seems a little hesitant about doing anything. Um, it's a big moment. It's a big moment there uh, where Gandalf takes Pippin and goes with them, leaving Aragorn to try to convince Baden. Baden's like, kind of like, well, why would I help Gandalf? Why would I help Gondor? Where was Gondor when the Westfold burned? Where was Gondor when the... Where was... And it's like this whole sequence where Baden's like... Fuck. And you can tell it's like partially because he's not vindicated, partially because... He is doubting himself. He's not satisfied with his own. He he's basically he feels emasculated to a point. He didn't he didn't save Rohan. It was Aragorn. It was Gandalf. It was Gimli and Legolas. They were just he was just the beneficiary of it. He happened to be there to do it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I gotta say, man, this what I get very happy about when we get to these parts is now we're hanging out with one of the, like the coolest character actors ever. And this is really the first time I remember seeing, uh, why am I blanking all of a sudden? Bernardo? I mean, or no, not Bernard? No, John Noble. John Noble. Okay. Talking about down throw that. Okay. I wasn't sure if you were talking about Silva Faden, what I was saying or no, no, but I mean, okay. in this sequence, moving into the next part, right? Because okay, gotcha. once from here, we move very quickly into Gandalf goes running to minister to confront yeah. Denethir. And so you move from there to here very fast. 
and you get John Noble, and Noble's a f- just complete psychopath. Just a complete psychopath in this movie. Right. And his performance is so great. And it, this was like the first time I ever saw him in anything. Right. And it was such a lasting impact because I can't see him in literally anything else the way that I see him from here on. It, yeah. it was so memorable. And then he got like a major TV show out of it, which Fringe. I thought was very cool because he was on Fringe. Love and he's been in a bunch of stuff. Obviously, we're big fans. We talked about him during our Conjuring 3 review. Yeah. Um but it's so funny because this whole performance from him is like tortured and bleak and just kind of it's almost the opposite of Bernard Hill's performance when you first see him because he's under that curse and he's just like quiet and just sitting there and he can't really do anything. But Noble is like loud and just kind of in your face. And it's just such an interesting performance. Right. It is. And, you know, interesting we talk about the theatrical version of the uh, extended. I'd also say, I can't remember now because, like I said, I've had trouble remembering exactly the theatrical version. Um, I do think that the book and the extended editions show, the book shows it better than both, the theatrical and the extended. The extended at least shows it more than the, than the theatrical. The Palantir that that uh, they not they that Denethor uses. Denethor uses the Palantir, and that obviously has cursed him, and Sauron's taken over, and it makes him a much more complex character. Whereas, if I remember right. correctly, in the theatrical version, they cut down a lot of that, and it basically just seems like he's an asshole. <laughs> like he's like he, he just like, he seems kind of crazy. He was he's gone crazy for no reason, and he's just crazy, and he's a, he's pretty much a bad, almost like a bad guy. At least with the extended edition, even more of the books, you see that like he was a good leader, he was a good steward, but he got corrupted by the use of the Palantir, and Sauron kind of got into his head, and that's partly what happened in a way. I mean, I think it's probably he's definitely a man, and of the best men leaders have faults. We saw with Boromir before and everything else; he's got some definite faults, but it, it, it was almost unfair. In the theatrical version, the way it was cut down. So I'm glad the extended get a little bit more into that and get a little more, like, I don't want to say excuse for the character, because he still does things that are unforgivable. Um, but they are, at least make him a grayer, more complex character. Well, and it's, fu- it's funny that you kind of talk about it that way, because the truth is, is that to your point, I think ultimately they're trying to go for there's a war between him and Aragorn, because he doesn't want Aragorn taking his spot, obviously because he knows that he's going to be the rightful heir and he doesn't want to give up the power he has. Right. Because man, and I think that's to your point is that they were just trying to keep it. He's just an old crazy man who doesn't want to give up power. Right. It's basically how it kind of comes down to in the theatrical cut of the movie. And I mean, the extended cut to a point too, I guess like it doesn't get a ton better, but it's at least there to be a little, you can kind of see he's clearly been somewhat corrupted. Yeah. Um, which leads to like much later in the movie, this obsession with the idea that his son has died. Right. 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 And like him being like, no, he's dead. He's dead. I'm going to burn him. And he's, and you know, Mary the whole time or Pippin the whole time is going, he's not dead. He's not dead. What are you doing? Like, but he can't hear or see anything else because he's just focused on the one thing. Right. And he said he's given into despair, especially as soon as he saw like the, 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 the uh, warriors from the orcs rather from, from Mordor have made it to his front step. Um, it's a great moment beginning. I do say, uh, I want to bring it up when I fear <laughs> Lord of the Rings sur- not survives, but thrives when there's just a little nods of humor. Yes. And, yeah, it's very good at that. When Gandalf and, and, 
Pippin make it to Minas Tirith. They go on the doorstep and they're like, <laughs> and he starts talking. He's like, I probably shouldn't say anything about Boromir because he's his father. And you probably shouldn't say anything about Pippin or about uh, Frodo or Sam. And you, it, in fact, you should just probably not say anything at all. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. But of course, what happens? Right away, Pippin's like, nope, this is what happened. And Gamble's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> but Pippin because right away. Pippin thinks he's helping. He, he thinks he's helping. He does. And it he does he's to helping. a degree. In this case, he actually does. It does to does. a degree, yeah. does to a degree. He kind of like comes in and offers his fealty for what it, for what it's worth. Because um, Gandalf doesn't know that or uh, that uh, Denethor knows that Boromir is dead, and right away he's, he's like, "Maybe you come to tell me about this." It shows you the uh, the horn that's cleaved in two since uh, since his death. Um, makes for a very interesting beginning. You know, right away this is going to be a problem. There's going to be a problem getting Denethor and Theoden on the same page and together. But they're going to need to do that if they're going to defeat Sauron and Mordor's forces. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I I really like the character dynamics in this entire scene because it in sequence and movie rather I guess because Mary and Denethy are spending so much time together is such an interesting dynamic and it leads to that great moment where Mary is singing the song to him Pippin yes or Pippin I'm sorry that's right guys (laughs) someday Pippin Pippin is out you know spending all this time with him and also trying to humanize him like That's the thing is that Pippin's there to try to keep him straight and try to keep him awake to what's going on. And I just find it so fascinating. That sequence when he's singing the song is just so. uh... That sequence is one of my favorite ones of all time. It is so good. Uh, And we're skipping ahead when we talk about it because I think. We should probably actually touch base with the relationship between Denethor and Faramir. Obviously, Faramir doesn't have enough men to hold us Gilgith. He pulls back. Yes. He pulls his troops out of his Gilead because they're being overrun. And he makes it back to a very unhappy Denethor, who basically sends him right back out with his troops. And once again, Faramir, I mean, they, it literally says, he kind of asks, he kind of finally point blank says, it, you wish that uh, that I died and Boromir hadn't. Yeah. And Denethor's like, yep. <laughs> I'm like, damn. <laughs> Damn it! That's as harsh right there. And but Faramir, and to Faramir's credit, as a as a character, as a person, he's like, "Well, I will do what you want me to do, and you know, just please think better of me when I get when I get home." Now, does he give it? He still gives him the olive branch. Then there still slaps it away. It's like, well, that depends on how you come back. What the fuck, man, dude? <laughs> um, but it does lead to that it's very so good, good though. Very it is, good and I'll say this: like, it just makes me like. Faramir Moore and David Wenham's whole performance and the way he acts off John Noble and that whole thing is so great and mm-hmm. him being like, you know, I'm going to do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't care, basically, even if even if you don't want me to be alive. I'm going to do the thing I need to do and I'm going to do it well and you're going to be proud of me. Or you're not, but I'm going to do it anyway. 100%. 100%. Um, and, and it's just so, so good. Oh, God, dude, David Wenham is just... I really like him. Yeah. I really, really like him. He plays that character very, very well. It's very wonderful. Um, but it shows off Billy Boyd's got that great voice. Of course, he thinks he does sing a ballad. Um, I love the sequence where, obviously, uh, Faramir's out there trying to retake Osculeth, but the paltry amount of numbers, it's a losing battle, and they get slaughtered while Pippin is singing this very sad song. And, of course, like I mean, it's, it's obvious. It's such like there's no subtlety to it. 
And yeah, so worse. Like he starts like biting the the fruit, and he got the red like coming down his. And lips it's and the goes. fact that it's red. You know what I yes. mean? And right, the blood because it's it looks like blood. Yeah. Oh God, it's so good. He's so good. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it, it's so such a powerful powerful sequence. It, it is. It's a suit, and it's again to Jackson's credit, it's the way he shoots it, and it be, makes it so bleak and beautiful and heart-wrenching and there's just something about it that's kind of haunting actually mm-hmm. um and i think mm-hmm. it's because of pippin's voice in the song there's just something very i guess innocent is the right way to say it but also yeah. kind of he's kind of scared yeah i'll give you that like there the way he does it there's an innocence but like a hopefulness, but a understanding that this is probably going to go wrong, or he's hoping it won't. It's very complicated. That's the best way I can describe it. I'm throwing, I'm saying a lot of things, but it's because I, I feel like Billy Boyd is really, really selling the scene, and it works so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's intercut with a lot of other things that are happening at the same time, and it yep. just builds the momentum. And again, I, I think Jackson is such a good filmmaker. So when he's doing stuff like this and it lands, it's because he's really good at what he does. And he's really good at building emotional tension and emotional release later after the fact. You know what I mean? Like there's all this stuff happening at this one moment and you're intercutting all of it the way that you are over this song that one of the characters is singing and it just hits. It does. It really does. It's everything you wanted to do and more. Um, And I can't can't say enough about it. Um, But... We should go back a little bit before that. We do have another good sequence that we should mention because it brings it, it kicks everything else into gear. Into gear, even though Denethor has pretty much said they're not going to call for aid, um, they're going to leave it to be. And Denethor's whole biggest sin, especially that Gandalf and Gandalf size, is he does nothing. He knows all the stuff's coming, and he's like, "Yep, whatever." And like it's weird that he does that, but it's like, why would you? He banking on what is he banking on? I, mean, I don't know what he's banking on. But he doesn't want to call for help. Um, obviously, it's funny because. Uh, Theoden doesn't want to go to help and Denethor doesn't want to call for it. So what do you got to do? Gandalf gets Pippin to light the beacon, which is such a great sequence. I love watching the, the music score and everything else. Uh, he, he lights this big bonfire. That's the, that's the beacon. Big like, big bonfire. And you see the guards being like, what the fuck? What just happened? And it just keeps going and the sequence is so great. It's so great. It's, cool. it's, it's like it's like a, a cooler, I shouldn't say cooler, but a more visual version of the Indiana Jones thing. The Indiana Jones map, it's like, we're going to follow this whole beacon. goes from It shows a beacon lighting up. The camera goes around it and you see all the distance. You see another flame coming. You see go to that flame. You go to the camera, swims around. You see, you see them go all the way across the way. Um, and you get to see the great moment where Denethor is looking out the window going, grimacing like he knows just what happened and he's like fuck me people but he can't stop it once you light the beacon you can't stop it but it gets to Rohan and Vin- and Aragorn sees it he runs into the to the to where they are and then he's like the beacons are lit Gondor calls for aid and you have this moment for Theoden where he's already bitched a few times he's already been like you know I'm not going to help Gondor why should I help Gondor uh, but he's got his inner doubt, which is better shown from the scene with Saruman, also a scene with Eowyn earlier, where he's like kind of like, you know, he mentions like the victory wasn't mine. Uh, forget about me, I'm just an old man. Go enjoy yourself, kind of thing. But you get this feeling like he's done, he's not going to do it. What happens? 
Aragorn doesn't have to convince him at all. He says it. Beacons are lit. There's a pause. Everybody looks to him. And he goes, Gondor will or Rohan will answer. And it's like, fuck yeah. That's why you are Theoden King. That's why the one moment you solidified why you were a great great character, great king, great everything. It's it's such a subtle moment, done well. Again, uh, Bernard Hill. Bernard Hill. Because it's it's Jackson and Bernard Hill in my mind in that moment. Because Hill's delivery is very important in that moment. Yes. And it works yes. and it hits and it just It's the right thing God, to do and he knows so it. Good. Yeah, and he does it because he knows it's the thing that will also help bring peace mm-hmm. in a way. Like and hope. It's not and, about him. Right. And I think that's the important thing is like this series is littered with people who keep forgetting that their baseline is not the thing that's the most important, which makes the moments like this stand out so powerfully. And again, Pippin, all the stuff Pippin's doing in the stuff with Denethir, like all of that to me feels like us looking at people who have been corrupted versus the people who have been not. And it's, it's such an interesting duality through all the films. It it is. I agree a hundred percent. It's great to say, um, obviously sets everything in motion where Gondor is going to get aid from Rohan. They're all going to get together, and he's like, tell him you got a couple days, everybody can. Which is kind of interesting because, like, you know, Helm's Eve didn't have many people left after Helm's Eve, and yet somehow they're able to muster 6,000 more people at some point. Like, wow, where's this at? Where were they? <laughs> Helm's Deep. But you can't, can't, don't worry about it. It's okay. That's the thing about war. You always, like, don't, in any kind of movie or, or book or anything else, like, men kind of come out of nowhere. Like, you all have so many men left, and yet somehow they're there for the next battle, and there's more. And... Okay. You kind of let it go. Uh, <laughs> but, of course, this all starts out. While this is going on, we get to cut back and forth a little bit to see finally what's going on with Frodo and Sam and, uh, and Gollum. And he's, uh, they're continuing their journey. Um, we get to see that Gollum starts planning for himself a little bit. Um, we get to know that we're leaning towards the uh, the sequence that we were looking forward to when it came out, looking forward to Shelob, which is interesting because I remember the debate at the time because Shelob is technically in the Two Towers book. The end of the Two Towers book, yeah. But yet they decided to push that and put it in Return of the King, and I think it was the right thing to do. It did lessen Frodo and Sam's journey in the Two Towers, but I think the Helm Deep was the best like climax for that. Uh, for that particular story, um, so that it, putting Shelob there would have been a little bit more of an anticlimactic, not not anticlimactic, but not as powerful an ending for that film. Not just Whereas, that, though. If they hadn't done this, sorry to step on your point, but I want to add to what you're saying. Ultimately, if they don't do this, Sam and Frodo don't have anything to do in this movie. Yeah, and yeah, so that's exactly true. Moving it the way that they did gives their urgency to their story in the same way that everything else is happening. Because if they're in the same dire straits as everyone else, now suddenly you're feeling the pressure. But if you take that off and there's not a lot happening in Return of the King for them and the focus is on everyone else, well, now the One Ring storyline is lost and so is the tension to it. So I feel like it was always the right move to pivot it that way because it gave us a sense of so much urgency in this meeting, in the things that are happening, and you finally see Golem turn on right. Frodo. You finally see Frodo turn on Sam for the first time, but Sam being the, you know, real hero of this story, by the way, make no mistake about it, 
Sam is the real hero. <laughs> Fuck Frodo. Fuck Frodo. We actually <laughs> we had this discussion one other time. We had we don't text a lot during these things. We usually wait and try to have our discussions in here. Then yeah. I texted you right that I was like, you know what? By the way. Fuck Frodo. <laughs> That's why I just texted you. Like, fuck Frodo. I was like, Samwise is definitely the, not only is Samwise the hero of the story, not the hero of the film, not the greatest of the characters that are greatest of the fellowship, but he's also like, doesn't get any credit for it. Big moment at the end. Aragorn's like, we're going to get to them. The Black Gate thing. He's like, oh, I got the sword. I'm ready to charge. He turns. He's like, for Frodo. The fuck about Sam? Where's Sam? Yeah. For Sam. <laughs> Where's Sam in all this? Why couldn't it have been for the Hobbits? Right, the Hobbits, the two of them. Right, exactly, something like that. Even Mary and Pippin are like Frodo. What? Where is Sam yeah. all this? And Sam's going to say it the fucking day over and over and over again. This movie. Uh, I mean, Frodo really mind boggling that it's really mind boggling that Sam doesn't get enough credit for all this. Oh. It's really it makes no sense to me. Sam deserved all the credit and more. Sam is the Frodo doesn't even get the job done. He doesn't even get the job no. done. <laughs> no, his finger gets bitten off and Gollum falls into the fire. Right? And Sam still has to save his ass. Yeah, because what was Frodo going to do? He fucking takes the ring, puts it on, and he's going to peace out. He's going to go be a little evil Smeagol douche running right. around Middle Earth. And then right. Gollum's like, actually, no, I'm going to take your finger off and take the ring with it. Ugh. <sighs> God, I mean, we're jumping ahead of ourselves, but once it once you matter. open up the once you open up the uh, the the vault of fuck Frodo, I had to I had to get my passions out. Hopefully, you know, it might be a good thing because we can actually talk about the ending a little more uh, calmly. I'm sorry, there's not going to be there's there's not there's going to be probably not Frodo. Probably you, you, Frodo hapless fucking Hobbit, how dare you do all this just to try to like? Doesn't matter. Brian he gets Sam's all the way to the volcano, guys. He gets all the way to the volcano. And he's like, actually, no, I'm not going to drop it in. I don't care how powerful the ring is. Just toss it in. Honestly, Sam should have just pushed it. I, at that point, I was kind of rooting for that. I was kind of rooting Honestly, for that. Sam should have just pushed him into the fire. Sam was able to withhold it. Sam's right there with the ring the whole time. He's not holding it. So I guess I guess you could say his, it's not corrupting him as much. But he has it for a bit. And he gives it back pretty easily. I mean, he does. He pauses for a minute when he's asked to get it back. Well, he's also pausing because Frodo looks like a psychopath. He's already like foaming yeah. at the mouth to get it back. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. I agree. Fuck, fuck uh, Frodo. Hashtag fuck Frodo. Fuck Frodo. <laughs> but seriously, in, in all in all seriousness, fuck Frodo. Fuck Frodo. Fuck Frodo. <laughs> Um, anyway, <laughs> I did want to bring this back to something we were talking about a little bit though before about the, the, the two towers and thing that you mentioned. I agree 100% with what you said about that. The other thing I want to mention also, because partially is the source material for two towers we've written so uniquely, and it's not a good choice by Tolkien, I'd say, after all is said and done. I don't actually like it. Where they did like the whole Aragorn and company, all of it. Then they went back and showed you all of Sam and Frodo. It wasn't like they interspersed. Right. It was all like boom, boom, and in that case, you could you could put Shelob at the end of Frodo's thing. But when you put it together, overlapping, Shelob doesn't fit in that role at that point because you need to have the sequences there with Sam, Frodo, and Faramir be at the same time as the end of Helm's Deep and everything else. That just is how it works right up at that point. So when he lets him go at the end, then when Gandalf and Pippin get there and see Faramir and they can have that moment where Faramir's like. Oh, I saw a couple of hobbits. This is what's happening with them, kind of thing. Giving the update. It doesn't make timeline sense a lot of, a lot of sense, which is why again putting them there with Sheila it makes just more much more sense, right? 
It's so funny you bring that up because I think about this a lot because, as you know, um, I really love The Godfather as a collective whole. Um, I like all three of those movies very, very much. But there's always this talk about the second movie being the better movie because it's got all the young Vito stuff and the way it's interconnected and dispersed in like, you know, exactly what you're talking about, the way it's put together. My hot take about the Godfather too, is I actually don't like it that way. I actually prefer it pulled apart and put chronologically as he did later in right. like the, you know, the Godfather, I think it's like been called like the complete novel or the epic, depending on where you've seen it. It's a seven hour version of the first two movies put together chronologically right and that's kind of why i think here it's so it's so funny like you're talking about in the book it was like it's sectioned off and it works in a book but in a movie it would have been so much different and that's why i'm glad that they found a way to push that arc into in the way they did because again it actually gives frodo and sam something to do in return of the king otherwise they have nothing to do yeah it's not it just ends up being very anticlimactic at that point for them uh, until the end. And, like, in a way, I will, I, I guess you could say that the argument being um, that it does lessen the two towers for them. So, remember, actually, during our last week when we were talking about it, I did kind of say, you know, Frodo and Sam don't get a whole lot to do here. They kind of walk, they kind of walk at the end of it. They're still pretty much where they were before, just with, with, with Gollum, et cetera. Right. Um, but, Again, how can you do it differently? Because if you try to push the Shelob thing in here, it just fucks them up here. I'd rather have them have the nothingness in that story, letting Helm's Deep be the climactic, probably best moments in the trilogy for me, or at least definitely the best battle sequence in the trilogy for me, um, and then get them their, their time to shine in Return of the King, where Pelinor Field's battle, for example, again, love Pelinor Field's battle, but does feel slightly out. How do I say this without being really critical about it? So I'm not, I, I don't mean this to be extremely critical, but it does have a slightly retread feeling. It's kind of Helm's Deep. Uh, oh, it 100% is. Not. I, but like, after seeing no, Helm's I Deep, you're like, this is... It's, it's, it's a little samey. I mean, it's a little bit more broad, though, because it's out open versus being a little more close quarters, but like, mm-hmm. there is a little sameness to it, but it's also because the truth is is that the Battle of Helm's Deep, in my opinion, is like the more interesting and important battle. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the reason I feel that way. Like, don't get me wrong. Do I love what we get out of this at the field? Yes, I absolutely do. It's it's incredible. Like, that battle sequence is breathtaking. Yeah. But also, as much as I enjoy it, let's be real here, I adore what we get in the two towers, and it'll always stand out. And and part of that is because it's first. It's your first time, and nothing quite can like match that first time in a way. That that was such a a big in depth battle. That how can you you can't top that? You can only hope to contain it. Look, I I don't disagree with you. Sometimes you remember like the most epic looking battle that you've ever seen on film. I remember telling you that like my eyes lit up the first time I ever saw it because I'd never seen anything quite like it. I was. 12 when two showers came out so like it was quite an emotional moment it it still sits it still hits it's still freaking great and i think that it pairs so well with that movie so then moving to this one the stuff that you have with shelob and the stuff that you have with frodo and sam and golem 
it works as a good balance to the fact that as fun as that battle is that we get in the movie, ultimately it's kind of a retread of Helm's Deep right. and not in a bad way. Again, it's still epic and exciting, but it's just like I love Helm's Deep so much and it's it hits so differently for me. I agree. Like I feel it's so weird every time you say, every time I say retread, every time you say retread, I feel that like that like I'm not trying to like Helm Field so yeah. much. But it's because it's not because Pelinar Field is one of my favorite battles in the history of film as well. It's just like it's again, it's just slightly in comparison. It's like okay, okay, I've I've been there, I've done that to a degree, but it's still worth seeing. It's still definitely some great moments. But um, I mean, course, look, before, that, here's the thing: they are 100 percent worth watching, and so right. there's again, they're excellent movies, regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say we do talk about um, a couple of things. We can talk about Frodo and Sam and Sheila, but we can talk about uh, Aragorn and company at the camp. Like encampment with Theoden. I don't know which is Let's talk about the Frodo Sam stuff first, then we can go into Hell in Our Fields. Yeah, I mean, we're um, already there. We're yeah. already on the fuck Frodo train, so. Let's do the. Yeah, we're on the fuck Frodo train. So, fuck it. Fucking Frodo almost gets caught a couple times where Sam and Galen go up, up the. They go up the this, like, like, stairs. They're like, holy shit. I don't even know how they do it, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, that doesn't even look feasible. I'm going to be honest with you. I look at that and I go, you know what? I, I just, just leave me here to die. It's fine. Yeah. I'm done. Forget it. I'd be sliding yeah. down like, <laughs> like Sam does. It just doesn't on. look possible, especially with Hobbit feet. They have huge yeah. feet. How are they supposed to handle that? That's a good question. Maybe they have like maybe it's not talking about. Maybe they have better traction because they're maybe. Kind of hard feet. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's worth yeah, it. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> what's good about this sequence is the Gollum Sam relationship. You get to see Gollum being a mischievous little prick that he is in Fuck a way. One. Yeah. And he does it, but he does it. He plays the role perfectly, plays Sam perfectly, goads Sam into making mistakes, and like sets Frodo up or by telling him exactly what he's gonna ha- what's gonna happen, and he does. Um, and he successfully turns Frodo against Sam because fuck Frodo, he's just, he's super out to fall for it. Like how does Sam, I don't get? I mean, maybe because the ring. I don't understand this. this, but like when Frodo sends Sam back down, it's like, how is this a good idea, any way, shape, or form? He's known Sam like his whole life, yeah. And he's he's willing to give it all up for Gollum, and he knows Gollum, a dude you just met. Yeah, he knows a piece of shit. Even during all of his like, there's times obviously Frodo during Two Towers and during Turn of the King where Frodo makes it clear that he sees a little bit of himself in Gollum and hopes that he can you know turn Gollum back to the light side, so to speak. Um, But even like. During any of those speeches, he never tells Sam that, no, I trust Frodo implicitly. I trust Sam, uh, Gollum implicitly. And I think Gollum needed, we need Gollum to get there because he's, he's a good guy now and he's helping us out now. He never says that. So he knows that Gollum is still kind of a piece of shit despite, despite his, uh, his turning to good for a little bit there before Faramir knocks him around a little bit or his, Faramir's crew knocks him around a little bit. So at the end of the day, when Frodo and, or, uh, when Sam, I guess, Sam and Gollum's bickering can get to him a little bit, but there's no way. This is the way that never made any sense to me. I just can't see how it got to the point where he believed Gollum enough to send Sam away and leave him alone with the murderer. Like, I, I, I just don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't either, man. I've never, I've never understood it. I've never, I've never liked Frodo less than I have in that moment when he turns on Sam. Like it. I get the point of it being like, look, he he's 
part of it's he's corrupted. The other part is, well, he's going off this whole idea that, you know, he should pity him and he should really, maybe Sam's just jealous and X, 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 whatever. Like, there's all these reasons he should do that for the story, but even character-wise, it still just seems terribly out of character. Yeah, And it's the one thing that, like, it'll never drag the movie down for me because ultimately it does work within the confines of the film, but it's just, like, such a mind-boggling decision. And I, it's never sat right with me. No, yeah, same thing. Just, it just never. I, I can't see how it works. I just can't see why Frodo would let him go because Sam's his only protection at that point compared to compared to Gollum's machinations. Even if he does believe, like the moment that comes close is when Frodo, he, when Gollum tells Frodo that Sam's going to ask for the ring, and then Sam does in his innocent fashion. I'll help you. I'll carry. I'll help help you carry it. But even with that, it seems like sending him away is just too much. And God, it breaks my heart. Sean Ashton breaks my heart when he's like, he's, he's like, no, no. <laughs> yes, he sits down and watches them leave. I'm like, oh, God, Sam breaking my heart. Fuck Frodo. Dude, any, anyone who hurts Sean Ashton is just a bad person. Yes. Especially agreed. Sean Ashton as, as Sam, Sam White. Mm-hmm. We don't I mean, we don't hurt him. When He's I don't a precious, know, when, precious angel. I mean, Sean Aston as Samwise Gamgee, Sean Aston as Mikey from Goonies, Sean Aston as Bob from Stranger Things. We don't want to hurt Sam, Sam, uh, Sean Aston. He's a national treasure, even from Fifty First Dates. Not agree with. <laughs> <sighs> but either way, <laughs> um, but he sends him away. Of course, Sam gets to the bottom of the cliff. There falls down like we all would. <laughs> bless you. Is that? Sam Wise, bless you. Um, <laughs> and he finds the the food, the crumb, crumbled of food. And I love that moment where Sam like, looks at it, looks up, and this is more in Sam character. Like, fuck that, I'm going back. <laughs> and he goes out running back up after after Frodo and Gollum. Um, and luckily, just in time, as it were. Um, how do you feel about the Shelob sequence itself? When Gollum tricks him into going in there and seeing the big ass spider and everything, what did you feel about the little sequence? I, I really like the sequence. Um, truthfully, maybe it's just because I just don't get as interested in their whole arc, ultimately. Like, it's fun to watch, but I'm always, re- like, ready to get to the next part of whatever's happening with everyone else. Yeah, I get that. Um, but I really love the sequence. Filmmaking-wise, I think Shelob looks great. Uh, I hate spiders. I, I find them fascinating, but I hate them. So anytime there's a giant spider in anything, also looking at Harry Potter, like, no thank you. I'm good, actually. Thanks, this is my fucking nightmare. And I remember seeing it in theaters for the first time and being like, that is a giant fucking spider. Please get me out of here burn immediately. It. Burn it. I am not well. Like, I, I really don't like spiders, man. I really don't. I, again, fascinating. Don't like them. So, Colin John and I, I think that they do. Yeah, exactly. Colin John Goodman. Anyone who's not seen Arachnophobia, please watch Arachnophobia. I cannot wait for the uh, reboot that they're doing. I'm yes, so me curious. Too. Me too. Uh, I love Christopher Landon directing it. I love that James Wan is producing it. I love that Amblin is still involved. That gives can me. We, can John Goodman just play John Goodman again, though? That's kind of what I'm hoping. I mean, they bring back Goodman. He's not not acting. Right. I love Goodman. He's a good actor. He's a great actor. So, and look, good. Daniel's still. Daniels would want to be involved in any capacity, but I wouldn't hate if he had a cameo because Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels, absolutely. I'm Jeff Daniels. 
Yeah. I hope Goodman has a cameo. I'm I'm less thinking that Daniels will, but I want it to happen badly yeah. because again, Jeff Daniels is my real uh PJ Ed Harris to like everyone thinks it's Bruce and I love Bruce, but like Daniels has actually made, you know, good really? choices. Uh, I love Jeff Daniels. And it's funny because you and I, both of our favorite, like two, our favorite actors, both played Atticus on That's true. Broadway That's for true. Sorkin in his Mockingbird. That is true. Um, I have <laughs> Daniel, you, you know this, but up on the wall, I have the Mockingbird poster and um, playbill frame from when I saw it and Daniel signed it for me. I love Jeff Daniels. So I hope he has a cameo in some capacity. I doubt he will because he's Jeff Daniels and he's probably too good, honestly, for the cheesy horror movie. But if he has a chance to be in it, I would love it. I would say that Jeff Daniels does seem down to earth enough that he'd be like, ah, fuck it. Yeah, I got a Friday free. I'll make it it work kind of thing. I, I can see it happening. I hope so because I I love arachnophobia. I and that people forget Frank Marshall directed that. I know, I know. Like Frank Marshall's not just a producer; he also directed, and that's a good movie. Yeah. It's a really good movie. <laughs> it, it holds up surprisingly well too. I'm asking, I'm actually, going to point this out. Should we do? We we mentioned doing our Ed Harris watching through and our Bruce Campbell. Should we do Duff Daniels instead of Bruce Campbell? I wouldn't hate it. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, Bruce feels so on brand, but like I, Daniels has such interesting stuff. Like, truthfully, it's probably the better choice. We could do it. I mean, I fucking love Jeff Daniels. I mean, if we, if that we are I'm on five, if we're on like five years from now, we could actually just do that Harris and Jeff Daniels, and then we could do Bruce Campbell, and I'll I'll pick somebody else that I want to do at that point. So, look, all I'm saying is this means I get to wax poetic about Steve Jobs again, and I yeah. can't wait yeah. because. Sorkin writing for Daniels and Daniels reading Sorkin's writing. Honestly, I don't think there's been a better person to ever do Sorkin's dialogue other than maybe um, Martin Sheen. Because Sheen obviously did it for four seasons on the West Wing and the American president. So fair enough. And Daniels did the news. Okay. Anyway, um, I really like the, (laughs) I really, really like the spider sequence. Uh, I think it's very tense. It's got some good horror elements, but it's actually a little more fantasyful. Yeah, I get that. Then I, I think like fellowships version of horror is. And the, remember how I said, when we were talking about fellowship fellowship feels like it's Jackson's middle earth. It's really kind of scary. And it, it's kind of a lot more of a horror vibe. Mm-hmm. King doesn't have that. And that's what I was getting at. It was like, I really love Fellowship because it feels like Peter Jackson's Middle Earth. Yes. And then it transitions to Tolkien's Middle Earth, and there's nothing wrong with that. I agree. It's, that's not a bad thing. But it feels more like the fantasy adventure. It, it loses Jackson's horror elements a little bit. I mean, they're still there, don't get me wrong. But Fellowship feels like it's so in your face with it versus these ones that's not. And so the Shelob sequence is actually really not scary as you yeah. might expect it to be like it is if you're younger it probably is but comparative to like some of the stuff i feel like they do in fellowship it's a little less scary than i was anticipating it being i can see that to a degree i think it definitely has some moments of scariness to it i think shelob again has done very well like you said i do think the lead up to shelob is pretty scary I got the nice little like the, you see the bones crunching you see the uh the uh the web which is very thick and and, and uh entangling 
Um, you get the interesting moment where you get Frodo with Galadriel, which is uh, you know, always very interesting. That did do that a couple times now. Uh, kind of Galadriel reminds Frodo that he's still going. Um, definitely get Frodo being alone. You get that kind of isolated feeling when Ga- uh, Gandalf, when Gollum abandons him, and he's like he realizes that he fucked up by sending Sam away. Hashtag Frodo again. Um, but yeah, he about <laughs> Frodo. The battle with Shelob itself is pretty cool, and I gotta say, the best moment is when Shelob gets him because it's really kind of cool how like, he's very silently on top, and like he kind of has the singer here while he's facing. He turns around, the singer's gone, and then it comes back down, and like you see like this little coming out of his mouth, and you watch it getting like all started get tangled up, and who comes back? And who fucking saves the day again? That's right, Samwise Gamgee is there. You mean the actual hero of the story? The actual hero of the story. He gets his epic hero moment because it comes in. Duh. He comes out with the these, light, with the light I've and the sword. I always love the shot. Yeah, Ugh. and that music, so music comes, and you're like, "Yes, Samwise Gamgee, back away from you, filth." It's actually very reminiscent of uh, Ellen Ripley <laughs> in Alien. So stay away from her, you bitch. It's the same exact kind of vibe you're going for, and it works entirely. I love it so much for Sam. Um, I do and- too, and again, it gives it gives him something to do. I I love. So much Sean Astin, so him getting a chance to finally get a hero moment like that. Because look, the truth is, is that a lot of people in these movies get hero moments. It just takes Sam a long time to get his. That's true. And actually, I think even I can't remember. This is two towers, or I think it's two towers. Either way, I, I do conflate. Sometimes again, it's one long movie. Sometimes that kind of where it breaks. I have that. Oh, it, right. it, it puts that moment where Faramir talks to him. It's the two towers, and he goes. Faramir's yeah. like, you know, what are you, his bodyguard? And Sam just goes, Gardner. And then later yeah. on, <laughs> oh, he leaves and he's like, we must come from a land where gardeners are very, held in very high esteem. And sure enough, he gets his moment, though. He gets his moment as a gardener to take out the spider <laughs> that's ruining his plant, as far as Frodo goes. Um, <laughs> like, oh, that metaphor. It's so good, though, man. It's so good. <laughs> Again, there's lots of moments in these movies that are just, like, really fantastic, just like that. There's so many yeah. character moments. Um, I think the only thing so, I wanted from that more, the only thing, one thing I wanted from that battle more between Sam and Shelob when he does win the day, but I kind of thought it would have been a good way because he does like slice that or gets the sword in her and Shelob gets wounded and and kind of retreats or whatever. I almost want to see him take the light of Ellen Deal and shove it down her throat. That's what would have been. Yeah, I would like that too. Because that would have made more sense. Like- I kind of felt like Shelob got off a little bit, like she left a little, a little early maybe. If that makes sense, like she, I, I feel like she could have still fought a little longer. I don't know. Maybe I'm remembering into things too much, but I don't think you're conflating anything to be honest. Because I would have liked to see more from it too. Just because I like Sam, yeah. I would have liked to see Sam get like a badass action hero moment. I guess like yeah. a, a stronger moment, rather. Not that it's not a great moment. It is. I think there's something to be said about what you're saying, though. There is that like it would have been a great punctuation on the battle. Yeah. Just like a small, like an addendum of some sort, right? right? Like right. just a little thing. Right. Um, yeah, so we get through there. Uh, sim- simultaneously, there's a camp happening right now before yes. the battle. Yes, yes, yes correct. Yes, yes. yes so we got there. We got the. Uh, they're all trying to meet up. They're give, they gave themselves a mustering point where all the people because like he they didn't have sent Amor off and sent off the other guy. I never remember his name. I don't think I, I don't ever say his name. Um, and, I don't know. I think they do say it's his, his. I don't know. Either way, the guy, one of the, his other right hand men, who goes off and finds more people, 
And we have Aragorn there with Gimli and Legolas. And pretty much the whole time, we're kind of like, oh, man, we don't have enough people. We don't have enough people. We don't have enough people. And we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but Theoden's being Theoden, saying, yep, you know what, we might not, but we're going to do what we have to do because it's the right thing to do. Um, but then we have the sequence that we're kind of waiting for. We see, we go back to the, we actually, before we talk about the camp too much, we go back to the elves. Now, earlier in the There's film. There's just so many things oh, happening in this I movie, know. you guys. So many things. Arwen had been told by by Elrond that there was nothing left for him. Like even that, that basically convinced her to leave Aragorn behind because Aragorn's going to die and she'd be left alone. There'd be nothing for her for the rest of time. So she kind of decides to go off until she has her own little vision, and she sees that in the future that if she stays, that she she'll have a child with Aragorn, and that's like well fuck that. She turns around and kind of like challenges her father. Um, now, here's the weird part where some people complain about it, and I see the complaint. I get the complaint because I understand it, and I, I actually agree with the complaint, but it doesn't bother me. It could bother some people. This idea all of a sudden that Arwen's life is tied to the ring. Like, it just kind of, like, seems to just happen. Yeah, and it's, like, also tied to the necklace that she gave right. him, which is, like, thing. Because like, apparently it's failing because the ring hasn't been destroyed, essentially, and... It is a weird kind of pivot. I really love the whole sequence, though, where um, where Hugo Weaving's Elrond is kind of talking to Aragorn about oh, it. Oh, I love that whole thing. Yeah, and I, I love that. But it does. It's such a weird take. In like, like it always kind of seems odd that they went that way. It's funny we argued before talking about Black Phone. We kind of like, oh, I love the fact that we didn't get it. Was it wasn't overexplained and everything else. But sometimes this is the, the exact opposite. Where sometimes it's so underexplained, it's kind of like, well, I don't understand what's going on here. Like it's like things like, why is it attached to the ring? Why is it attached to this? It wasn't for it. All of a sudden, it just suddenly is. And like, I mean, it's a it's very an like odd choice. It's a yeah, it's, it, an odd it's choice a small thing. ring. But, but it is. It's a weird, odd choice, and I, I wish that we had a little bit more of a why of it all. What? And unlike you, I'm not as well-versed in the books. Is there anything in the books? Like, can no. I ask you that? No? It is a film, a it's a film creation. This is, a film. So this is not okay. even in the books at all. Like, there's nothing to do okay. this in the books. So this was like, literally just something they created to create tension extra... The they're creating angle. extra drama and for the romance and for the Aragorn of it, because now... Yeah them seeing this to the end is even more important because it puts her life on the line if they're going to have a future. Right. Okay, so there we go. I mean, I guess that's the only explanation I needed is if it was created for the movie, then they're they're only doing it as a character thing. And that's, that's fine. fine. That's it, It's their choice and that's cool or whatever. I don't like it's the not, choice, but I can accept it. Yeah, it's like not super necessary. Right. But it's like it's also not the most terrible thing they could have done, to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's definitely worse things that could have happened. And, it's a, and uh, considering how much I love the film, like it's just a left, that's definitely a lesser evil that that was done. I mean, the the real meat of this entire part is that Elrond is convinced to come give the, the he re, re uh, forms the sword from the shards of Narsil to bring it back to Aragorn. That's a moment and a half. That's a great, one of my favorite moments. Yeah, I, see, I say a lot of this. This is one of my favorite moments in the trilogy. One of, I have a lot of favorite moments in the trilogy, um, obviously, but this is one see, of them. I'm not as, I'm, I'm not throwing around favorite moments like you are. It's not like fucking Skittles. You can't just choose every version of it to be your favorite. Okay? Every one is my favorite. Every single one. All right, you monster. <laughs> but it is great. I like the dialogue between Aragorn and, and and Elrond, it feels necessary. Elrond kind of needs needs to kind of get over his uh, hump of uh, 
being a little bit diffident in a way. And but he helps convince Aragorn to finally shake off his doubt and say, you know, this is what's got to happen. I mean, Aragorn's kind of funny. He has a couple moments like this. He obviously has the moment in Fellowship when he when Boromir passes. He kind of takes that step there. He's like, I, I will bring this justice to our people, kind of thing. Um, he, he takes these moments down several times. But this is the time where he's like, okay, I know what I have to do. This is what's going to have to happen. It's going to have to happen. You know, shake off the ranger, become the man you were born to be. And he takes the sword out, and he has it in his hand. Instead of like, instead of finally, instead of like being willy nilly about being wishy washy about, he sits there and goes, "Sauron will not have forgotten this blade. Let's do this kind of thing." Um, I love it. Well, and I love that it comes from you know the point of that they won't listen to me. Right. Well, look, they'll listen if you have the blade because right. then they're going to realize you really are the rightful heir. Right. And I, I really love the moment. I love the way that the camera is above him when he pulls the sword out. I think it looks so cool. Um, it's a great, great character moment. It is. For Aragorn, I really love it. Um, um, and I'll say this. It, it, we really never touched on... I never love a lot of the stuff with Miranda, Otto's, Eowyn, and Aragorn. I... I think it's it. We've really not talked about it because I think it's the one thing in this series that feels so not Forced. necessary because it yeah. almost feels like bad rom commy. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Um, and so when he when she's like, "Don't you have anything to say to me?" and he goes, well, "What what would I say to you?" and she's like, well, "You don't know." Right. Like it, it, it's so it's so silly. But the good thing is, is in all of that, it actually gives Aowen an out to be like a real character. Right. Because then she decides that she's going to go into this battle, whether anyone likes it or not, right. and she's going to fight. And I've always really liked that pivot, which yeah. makes it so much better. Agreed. So when Aragorn's leaving, and he's going to leave the camp, and he's, you know, he tells Gimli, he goes, look, you're not coming with me this time. <laughs> I love here's that. that <laughs> yeah. Here's that thing you're talking about, the little bits of humor. And it was, and Legolas is like, how many times have you learned, like... Have you not? Have you learned nothing of the stubbornness yeah. of dwarves? Yeah, exactly. It's like, look how stubborn this asshole is. Like, he's not going to not go with you. And then it was like, we're well, coming with you, laddie. Face like, it, laddie. Uh, we're coming with it. That's a great. Yeah. He has this great moment too. He kind of like he goes, "Where are you? Where are you off to?" And now Ergon turns like, "Not this time." I love. Yeah, I love Gimli. He's like, goes, "Oh, like, oh, really? That's what you think?" <laughs> it's so great. It's so in, in tune with the rest of them uh, when they go off together. Like, okay, and you know, Ergon's kind of got this lovely like. Fine, you fuckers. I love you. Got <laughs> a thing going on. Uh, but I love also that I, he, it, for some reason it's kind of strange they don't like – everyone doesn't say anything to anybody. He just kind of starts doing it. But he's like, well, why are they going off of the eve of battle? What's going on? I don't get it. Oh, my God. He's leaving because we have no no hope and stuff. And like they never really try to explain it. I was like, well, why isn't – I mean – yeah. Should he not say why? Like why? Are they- and, and Eowyn keeps being like, you know, why are you leaving? Why are you leaving? She, he, you can't leave right now. And it's like, no, he's going to try to get help right now. Right. And he, he could have said that. Like, I feel like he could have said that instead of like leaving them with no hope. <laughs> Bless you. Um, like, Thank it feels you. like they should have had, because they didn't at least say something like, well, we're going to do what we got to do. And it's kind of like, well, just say that he's going off to get help. At least that will ease their mind a little. Actually, might even give them hope. Yeah, <laughs> said they they kind of like played off. It like, is an oh. odd choice. I'll, I I gotta admit it's a it's a very odd choice. But I'll, I really like this leads to uh, the Binds of Moria too, as I like to call it. Some of which, this is actually in the extended only. I think I think this is this is one of the extended I sequences. I think. think probably to be yeah. honest, maybe the escape. I don't really remember. Right. Uh, 
it's been again. I haven't seen the theatrical cut since. Same, same theater. Um, but I, I really love this sequence. They go into the uh, they go in to confront these ghosts, and the idea is that these ghosts in these go- <laughs> gobliny ghost type things. I, I gotta, guess I gotta say, look, I gotta interject. I actually really laughed out loud at the memory of it. It's one. Of, it's also one of my favorite gaming moments. They go into the into the cave. They start like, stepping on the skulls. They don't want to oh, look yeah. at it. Like, all of a sudden, he kind of goes. Like, yeah, he's kind of dancing. <laughs> yeah. dancing. He's trying to move fast, but not like cross the skull. He's like, he's got to like, take back by it or whatever. It's such a great killing moment. <laughs> oh, it's a great killing moment. <laughs> and again, like, so they go in and he confronts the ghosts. And I really love this moment because yeah. Aragorn finally kind of becomes really. Aragorn. Uh, yeah, he becomes Aragorn now, right? Like, he finally accepts what he is. And that moment when they realize he has the sword and it swings at him. This is one of my favorite. This is one of my favorite moments in the series is him drawing the sword and he clashes it with the ghost and they realize, oh, shit, maybe he is. And then they get mad. Yeah. Them out. And that's when the skulls come down. And I love that moment because that feels like Jackson's Middle Earth. Yeah. Very spooky, very scary. And they go running out and just they look very defeated. They, they yeah. couldn't get them. The, the, these boats are coming down this way. Well, we're at a loss, man. They're going to, they're going to trap us and we're not going to have enough people. And that's, that's kind of that. Right. And so the boats coming down and they, they see it and the three of them are standing there and freaking shoots one of them after <laughs> Gimli nudges him. Oh yeah. And, and you know, they go, what you're three men. How could, or three, you know, how could you stand against us? And it's and then the ghosts all come out and like, right, ravage yeah. the ships. Oh, it's such oh. a great moment, dude. They decide I mean, I know, they decide they want their honor. Right, exactly. I mean there's an argument out there that I don't feel I've had about how the this the army of the dead are kinda of like a do sex machina in a way. I guess there's an argument for that. I get understand that. Um I kinda you have to give it a little bit of a pass though because of the way and this is such like Lord of the Rings gets a pass on all of these because it's such such an original book that everything else is based on. All like most modern fantasy is based on Lord of the Rings in some way, shape, or form. So it, I give that a pass to a degree. It is kind of become interesting. Like after the Battle of Pelennor, feels like Aragorn lets them go instead of going. Well, we could use them to attack Mordor, according to me. And then it's like one more battle. That comes as like little moments. Like, well, could we use them again? Like, but Aragorn lets them go. Obviously, afterwards. Um, but. It, so it, there is a little bit of a deus ex machina to it, but at the same time, it still makes it for a good, fun moment. I just had a random thought, and this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I'm going to put it out there. Okay. If they brought William Hurt back, or his character, rather, in MCU, we've seen people talking about Ed Harris, but what about Jeff Daniels? I wouldn't hate Jeff Daniels. I would not hate Jeff Daniels as well. I mean, I prefer. I, I could see him Daniels. being kind of William Hurdy. Like I, I could see it. It's William not a one to one. I get that. I understand I that. I could see that. I could see that. Um, I'm still going to go for Ed, of course. But that's I know you are. I just wanted to <laughs> just wanted to throw that out there because I had the random thought because we've been talking about arachnophobia and. <laughs> That's we'll walk through PJ's mind uh, during things, folks. It's kind of a weird place in there sometimes, but uh, <laughs> you love me. Fuck I you. Do. <laughs> I didn't say I didn't love you. It's still weird. It's still, still a weird walk through. It's a weird walk through my mind sometimes. I just didn't showcase it right then. 
Um, <laughs> I, I showcase it forever because I'm that easy to read most of the time. But you know. <laughs> um, all right, so we get to the point where okay, so they get the arm of the dead, and they do that whole sequence. And then we at this point it takes them too long though they can't they're not going back to the camp. Faden and company have to go ride to the to the battle to make the battle, while that leads to the moment where Awen <clears throat> puts the helmet on. Grabs Mary, even though they hadn't told Mary he, he can't come with him to the battle, and he brings her with it. It's a great moment again, the great sequence showing where like you know, the young, even the littlest of people, even the the, the fair, the sex, they all have their place in this battle, even if it's not, if it's a place only for the men or whatever, so to speak. It's a great moment as they lead into it. So let's get into Pelinor Fields. This is where it is. Obviously, this is where it all starts. Um, what a great like we! I, I feel bad. Is Siri just trying to talk to you? By the way, it might have Siri might have just said something. My phone is beeped. I don't know what's going on with that. Siri, I was going to say I thought I heard something, and I was like, "Did did, did we just hear?" <laughs> I think Siri wants to have her her say on <laughs> Lord of the Rings next time. Siri, okay. next time. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, so Pelinor Fields is that moment where they obviously. Faramir had gone off on a suicide battle to retake Osgiliath. They bring him back. He is near dead. Denethor is finally grieving. Um, finally, is like understanding that he loves his son and, and can't believe that he's almost dead. Which is like, part of me is like, "Fuck you, you idiot! You sent him there to die, pretty much, and now you're sad about it." Like, what the fuck? Um, but it's led up by the also the, the orcs coming back. And what a great moment when they use the catapults to catapult the fallen soldiers' heads. Into the, back into um, Minas Tirith. Oh, it's so powerful. It's so demoralizing. It's a, it's probably well, the, the best. Which is why I that. love it. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's so awful, and it's so you're. Imagine seeing that. It's like, well, that's awful, and now we're all going to die. Right. We already were dead, and we already were a little bit worried about this before. Now, oh fuck, we're dead. Um, but I love this moment when Gandalf takes control. Denethor freaking out about his son, all of a sudden turns around and finally sees all the orcs out there. I was like, holy fucking shit, starts panicking. He's like, oh, abandoned post, run for your lives. Then all of a sudden just turn, Gandalf, boom! <laughs> Get your Gandalf's kind of a badass, him. actually. Yes. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Because he also saves Pippin at yeah. one point also. Oh, yeah. Also, we, we never really talked about, I just want to say, Merry and Pippin being separated is the best thing that happens to these two. Yes. Because as heartbreaking as it is in the conversation they have and, like, Mary basically going, look, dude, you can't keep doing this stuff, and now you got to own what you did. Like, there's nothing I can do. Because Pippin goes, aren't you going to come with me? He's like, there's nothing I can do for you. Right. This is you and you alone, and we're going to try to take care of you. But you have to do this your way. And I have to do it mine. Right. And so the whole sequence of Pippin kind of getting involved in the fight and saving Gandalf is such a great moment. But also, again, to the to the point of all of it, the him continually going and fighting Denethir about the stuff going on with Faramir at the time. And it just works. And it's so good. And they get that heroic moment where, you know, he gets to save him and push him off the fire and uh, it's so good. Uh, in Noble's so face, when he realizes that he almost killed his son. Yes. Um, as he before, fucking catches on fire. Before we get there, I want to say, I, I actually, I'm glad you brought up the Mary Pippin thing, because before this, before Pippin goes off to the Minas Earth, it was always, they were the character, the two characters who didn't have their own unique um, self. It was always Mary Pippin. You know, Aragorn, you had... 
whatever. You had Aragorn, Boromir. You had Gandalf. You had Frodo. You had Sam, but it was always, and you had Merry Pippin together. They were the two. They were like basically one character in two. Um, even Gimli and Legolas had a moment of you kind of paired them up, but they still were because they had such unique selves. They kind of had their own thing. By splitting up Merry and Pippin, you give Merry um, a place to stand. You give Pippin their own place to stand to become their own unique characters, and it makes them better for it by far. Um, no, it does, and I think that's what's important. Again, I think that most of these characters go through really great arcs throughout the movies, and I think them in particular, it stands out. Yes. It is like, I, I, I really love all of the Hobbits actually get pretty transformative journeys, other mm-hmm. than Frodo, who's just a fucking asshole. So, mm-hmm. you know. So, fuck Frodo. Um, <laughs> so you have the great sequence. I want here, someone to take a shot every time we say fuck Frodo. Someone should take it. That's that's true. Maddie, I'm I'm choosing you. Um, <laughs> well, like I said, I'll unfortunately, I feel like this leads to alcohol poisoning. But could you know? That's why I gave it to Maddie because he's definitely professional. He might be able to handle it. I don't know. I'll have to find out. I guess we'll find out uh, if he doesn't show up yeah, for class we action next week. We'll know. Um, <laughs> also, fuck Frodo. Fuck Frodo. Um, so <laughs> that's been part of my episode. Fuck Frodo. Hashtag fuck Frodo. It's been part of my description. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> so we get it. Anyway, we get into it. We have the battle sequence. We got the whole thing going on. Gandalf leading the troops. Uh, Pippin going be- between Denethor, who wants to kill his son and or, or, he thinks he's dead and wants to burn them both. And uh, he doesn't want to. Fig- I guess he figures he wants to go out on his own turn, but he's definitely obviously insane at this point. Leads to some great battle sequences. You get Gandalf versus the Witch King, uh, briefly a standoff there um, before the Rohan show up. We'll talk about that for a minute, but I want to bring it up now because I have it in my head and I can't because we talked about Pippin. Greatest, one of the, again, I'll say it. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I'm tossing this around. This is definitely my favorite speech. Fuck Frodo. Correct. Fuck Frodo. Correct. <laughs> Pippin and Gandalf are doing battle with the orcs, and they get to the point where they bar up the doors, and they have this moment of respite, where the orcs are coming and they're sort of banging the door, and Pippin and Gandalf have this, like, shared moment where they're, they're paused, and Pippin turns to him and he's like, I didn't think it would end this way. And Gandalf has the most fatherly, mentory, like, oh, God, I want this man to be my father. <laughs> I want this man to just guide my life. Just turns, and not just, like, placating, it's just a real... You feel he's being very truthful at the same time, being very gen- like just genuine warmth coming from him and surprise of end. Oh, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one we all must take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass, and you see it. And we're like the fucking audience. Like we're saying to the people, we're like, what, what, what? See what, Gandalf? What's going on? What are you talking about? White shores beyond a far green country under a swift sun. With some of uh, Shore's best music, best score, swirling up in the background. Oh my God, it's just so beautiful, so powerful. That is my favorite quote in the whole saga, as far as like real, without any humor. It's just a beautiful, philosophical, everything about it is just, it's just spot on. It's so good, and it's such a great moment. And again, to your point, like there's just something so beautiful in the way it's said. And man, I just adore it. Like, what a great moment! And why is it the hobbits are always around for these great moments like this? That's a good, that's a good point. Well, I guess it's because the hobbits are really the central character. <laughs> I guess that yeah, it's true. Um, 
so that that's the moment there we get that whole sequence and then we get the uh, the arrival of we're talking about now the arrival of rohan and again we get bernard hill giving a speech that oh my god running through a brick wall comes up again i said a lot of times during the two towers (laughs) i'll say it again here his speech where he just gets them ready these guys have ridden through the night they must be exhausted they have the horn going. They've gotten the attention to the orc. And Bernard Hill just takes on their back, and he just pumps them up, just yelling death by the end. Death! Death! And they charge. And it's just awesome sequence. Awesome. Just when Pelliner, just when a uh, minister is about to basically be sat, be completed, Rohan saves the day. We have that moment of hope. It's much like Gandalf coming to the rescue at Helm's Deep, although it doesn't quite finish off anything. It just gives them hope and gives them strength. What a great moment for the battle, though. Getting that... They finally get that moment where they have both Pelnor battle in actual Pelnor fields as well as inside Minister. It It really is. And look, this, again, we've kind of talked about that there is a little... Like, this whole battle sequence, there's so much that happens, and it's so epic, and it's so exciting and fun to watch, but... There's, again, I I feel like because I love Helm's Deep so much, it just comes in second. It's still fun to watch. There's some great moments in it. Um, The catapult sequences as they are shooting them back off Minas Tirith. Mm. And the one, again, he loves the camera work. The one that follows it and is falling down and lands is so great. And then the one where the orc is just kind of standing there and it's like, oh, wait, it's going to land on me. Yep. And he like sidesteps it just barely. Badass though. He does it badass. Not like he, he knows it. He's like just waiting for it. He's like, yep. Boom. Yeah. And spits on it. <laughs> and he spits on it. Yeah. It's such a great moment. And this whole sequence is full of them. But what I also love is seeing Mary on the fields of battle and like ends up saving Eowyn a little bit. Like mm-hmm. he takes his own hit, but he he has his own little kind of hero moment. Yeah. Uh leave giving Eowyn a chance to kill the king. Have her big moment. I am no man. And yeah, no man can kill me, I believe is his, yes. you know. No man can kill me. I am no man. It's great. Um, we also get another great humor moment. I will throw in there in this battle. Uh, obviously, Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn made it back. And they're fighting, they're fighting the Oliphants. Legolas has this great moments. Uh, some people complain it's too over the top. Fuck it, I don't care. It's fantasy. He basically defeats the whole Oliphant himself. Has this whole moment where he skis, he like, takes down the whole thing, and it's punctuated when he skis off the end of the nose. He lands there, and she gives him looking there. Still only counts as one. <laughs> Still so good. Yeah, and look, man, when the boats freaking pull up, and they come running off, and then all the ghosts come out too. Right. Uh, it's so great. I think the ele- actually the elephants have aged phenomenally uh, yeah. as far as yeah. CGI creatures are concerned because the thing about these movies that I still love is how practical so many of the orcs and things are. And these elephants, for being these massive CGI creations, hold up very well uh, just in, like, look and texture. It's a... Actually, I love when they come out. The, the, or, the seeing elephants, people riding them and stuff is always so cool to me. Great. And that battle is just so wild. So good. It's so uh, good. So much. Legolas fucking riding the, down the trunk of the one. That's it. It's right before going to that. It's such a good moment. It's such a good moment. It's so good. I, I just, again, I, I I could talk about the battle too long, to be honest. There's just so much that's going on. But the truth is, is like, 
there's only a few character beats in it. Yeah. Uh, which is the thing. Like, we're kind of hitting them as we go. But the Witch King sequence in particular is really great. I love how it rides it, how he's riding in. He's on the Nazgul. He's he's honing in. And when Eowyn just, like, straight up cuts its head off mm. and starts battling the king, it's just such a badass moment. Agreed. Um, and it really shows, like, she is there to fight. Yes. And do what she has to do. And I love that. I, I just think it's so awesome and so impressive that that character comes so far. It's, it's, it is. It's a great moment. And it sure is. Well, of course, so you actually get that nice moment where Theoden's legs get crushed and, you know, Theoden's finally done. Theoden gets his moment where he feels satisfied with his own life. Like he, he can go now and die and join his father and join his ancestors proudly. Uh, he's not just, a, he's not a failed king. He didn't anybody. He, he stood up and battled well and died in glorious combat. And it, it's a good moment for Theoden getting that. You're glad to see it happen. And he has, he gets to die with Eowyn by his side and Eowyn's there. It's, it's a good moment overall. It's a great, great, great character moments, great battle moments. And we're left, of course, now they win the battle. But we still haven't won the war because we still have Frodo and Sam. Um, and he after fuck Frodo, fuck Frodo, that's right. He hasn't, Sam, he hasn't done anything yet. Sam has to save the day again, saves him from the orcs. And that's because the, the orcs the take him off. Yep. Which is like, I, I kind of love that whole thing actually of the orcs being, you know, being like, well, they they love fresh meat, so let's we'll take him back now because you know. Clearly, it's fresh meat for all of us. Right. And so they freaking take him back. And Sam wisely has taken the ring from Frodo. Well, he thought he was dead. Him. He thought he was dead, yeah. Right. So he's like, oh, I, gotta, I guess I got to try to finish this job and take it and throw it into the, into the fire. And so him going to rescue him and being the badass that he is, obviously, right. you know. <laughs> That's not a great moment. He, he uh, gets the they start fighting. The orcs start fighting amongst each other, and he does this big like grunt, and he starts going up the stairs. This shadow, like this, the shadow shows like this big warrior. And the orcs are like, oh fuck, what the fuck is this? What the fuck is this? And he gets there, and like, oh, there's this guy. But then like, he still kicks their ass. <laughs> this one's like, oh, for Frodo, for the shot, and that's for my old gaffer. <laughs> it's a great moment. Um, but he of course saves a day. He saves. Uh, Saves Frodo, and Frodo almost bites his hand off because he's got the ring. Um, I shouldn't give Frodo that much. Frodo is just rude. I shouldn't give Frodo that much shit at that point, though. It's a death the ring corrupting him at that point. I'll I'll, I'll throw him. No, I don't care. (laughs) No, no. You know why? Why? Fuck Frodo. Okay. I I was doing that just for you, letting you. (laughs) 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 He's just so bad at being the hero. He just is. He should have been there. He should have already dealt with all this. Instead, he turned his back on his friend, and then his friend had to rescue him. And then the first thing he does when he wakes up is snap at his friend. Yep. Absolutely. It's bullshit. It is bullshit. But <laughs> Frodo's just a bad person. But they get there. They start. They get. Uh, they put these disguises on, try to get through. They have these kind of adventures. I got to be honest, these adventures. This is where a part of it feels a little bit long to me. Like after Pelennor Fields, you see these adventures. I mean, maybe it's just me kind of looking, all right, we've gotten these big battles, and now we got to find Frodo and Sam, like, making their way through the orc armies. And it's kind of like a little bit like, okay, okay, come on, come on, come on. Come on. But that leads to the great moment where we have back in the uh, back at Ministeria, we see the like, little council where, like, everybody's like, well, we won, but now what? We don't know. They had a great idea, like, well, 
Frodo and Sam are there, and now all the orcs are there. What do we do? Aragorn come up with a great idea. Like, let's uh, we get them to eye on us. Let's let's storm the gate and make them come to us, and they'll it'll be a diversion, just like Legolas says. Gorash got a great, great Gimli line that's reminiscent of uh, Kirk in Star Trek Generations. <laughs> Small chance of success, the likelihood of death. What are you waiting for? <laughs> so good. <laughs> so um, I'll say this even though the it does meander a little bit here I do like the way that everything pretty concisely comes together in one place though because mm. obviously it was all coming down to being at the black gates and at the volcano and being right there you know like the build to this of all of them being so centrally close together right and the way it kind of Really, it's very cohesive, and I apparently, and I'm just figuring the mouth of Sauron who comes out at the gate. This is an extended scene, apparently. I did not yes. remember that this was not originally in the cut of the movie. Mouth of Sauron, not in the theatrical cut. That's what I remember. Bruce Benz, and I really like that sequence. I really like that sequence because yeah. it just for it, him to keep running his mouth and then just killing him. Well, I love the idea before because that beta serve. He, sh- he shows. I'm dropping my Pentagon. So excited. He uh, he shows the mithril, and you see like yeah. for uh, will um like uh, um you know, two hobbits there, Pippin, Pippin and Mary. Uh, Frodo, Frodo, and get quiet, quiet. Don't want to give it away because we they don't actually know what's going on. Like the Morlocks are guessing and trying to figure out what's going on. They can't say anything. Um, but it's a great moment. And then yeah, Aragorn just slices his head off. <laughs> and of course, it's Gimli there. Gimli, the nice little. I guess that concludes negotiations. <laughs> so good. Um, so they get there. They have the eye. The eye is obviously distracted enough to get Sam and Frodo there. Um, and then comes my absolute 100,000. I said it a billion times, and I'll say, of Gandalf's speech is my favorite. This is my favorite moment in the entire trilogy, bar none, topping all my other favorites. Like this, this if this, if I have to watch one, if I get to watch one sequence in Lord of the Rings, it'll be this one over and over again. I cry like a baby every single time. Frodo and Sam, I'm sure that moment where Sam and Frodo is like dying on the mountain, feeling just I can't remember, I can't remember anything, I can't remember anything, I can't remember the, the taste of strawberries and everything else. And Sam's trying to bolster his spirit, and then Sam just gets that energy. I'm getting goosebumps even just talking about it, <laughs> and so the music great. starts playing. Like, well, then let's be rid of it once and for all. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. <laughs> Grabs Frodo on his shoulders. What? Because he's a fucking hero. He's a fucking god of heroes. And like, he can't even walk because about. Because we stand Samwise here. And he can't even make it up. He's barely. It's funny because like, if you look at it, he only makes like one or two steps because he can barely walk himself. He's just trying to make it up to Sam with Frodo on his back. And then, of course, Gollum comes in. What a great moment. A great moment. All of a sudden, Frodo can fight real good then, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll say this. Uh, I, I, Golem's return is actually really great because I love him falling falling into the abyss, but the truth is, is like we had already kind of seen him crawling around abysses. So my my eventual, my eventual thought is, well, of course he survives that. Let's right. be real here. Yeah. He And so him popping up at the end is like, you know, it's the horror movie equivalent of and now the killer is back, even though you thought you killed them already. Like that—that's the equivalent of that. <laughs> it is um, a horror story. <laughs> I I love 
this whole sequence. He, he, especially look, as much as I'm giving the Frodo character shit, Elijah Wood acts the shit out of the moment when he finally gets in there. And the closer he's getting to the volcano, like to the lava to drop it, the more it's weighing on him. And that look on his eyes when he's like, I'm just going to keep it like whatever. I'm just going to put the ring on and I'm going to walk out of here. And that moment where Sam's like, wait, what? And he puts the ring on and disappears and you see the feet prints and then Golem jumps him. And it's such a great scene. Um, And I, I'll say this, uh, I would have let Frodo die, number one. But also, yeah. ultimately, like, Golem saves the day. He we does. pity Golem, but he's the one who ultimately saves the day because he's the one who falls into the lava with the ring. Which is why, which is why it, it's a payoff. It's a payoff yeah. from the very beginning. Frodo didn't kill him for for because uh, he felt pity for him, because Gollum had a part to play in the story. He didn't know what it was yet. This is his part. Frodo is not going to make it. Frodo is not going to do the deed. But it, because even though Gollum's still evil, and the Gollum still is, uh, you know, he's he's hopeless. He's not he's not redeemable at this point. And but so he stays in his realm. But because of his evil actions, it still saves the day and lets Frodo and Sam end up being the hero. Well, Sam be the hero and Frodo being the guy riding Sam's coattails. Um, but <laughs> at the end of the day, it is a great sequence. I agree with you fully 100%. Now, yeah, I, I just love ahead. the sequence, man. It's just so good. No, I'm just saying, I just really love the whole sequence. Like, to your point, because it kind of comes full circle, him not killing him ultimately, like, okay. Good. Like, because it does have the payoff. He still had a part to play. Everyone had a part to play. Bilbo still had the part to play, right? His yep. part to play was to give the ring to Frodo, and it, he wasn't done with that story just yet. Like, et cetera, et cetera. Right. 100%. Uh, so good. So good. Um, so they, they end up doing the thing. Uh, the ring goes down. I love the fact that the ring stays on the fire. Gollum dies in the flames. The ring stays on top of the lava at first. And we see the, the, the script come back, and then it goes. And what a great moment where Aragorn, Aragorn freaks in the cave troll, which is, it, it felt a little like, okay, we've got to throw stuff at you now at this point. Like, we're just going to, got to keep you busy as a, to make the sequence work. And it's fine. It works. Also, they all turn, and they're like, what the fuck? Oh, my God, this is happening. And then, it all goes down, and they all go down. It's so, it's so funny because you and I, again, we don't text if we a lot while we're watching the movies. But I did mention while we were while I was doing my watch, and you were like you had already done yours. I think I forget sometimes when you get to the Black Gate sequence, like it's very exciting, but it's really not epic because the last the battle at Minas Tirith is like the more important right. battle. Because the rest of what's happening once you get to the Black Gate is all about Frodo and Sam and right. the ring. And so there's like a big battle happening, but there's nothing like exciting about it. It's actually just kind of chaos as you're sitting there watching it in the hope that the ring gets destroyed because they're all at an impasse at this point. It has to happen. This right. needs to be done. We need to deal with it. Right, exactly. Um, so they do it. They do their job. And then... Frodo and Sam live through it, and Sam Frodo's happy again. He can do everything right, and the eagles come and save them. And I know it's always been a big argument. Why are the fucking eagles the whole time? Why couldn't they have flown them in and all this stuff? 
I mean, in the, in the books, I guess, in like in the lore, there's a reason why they could do it. I think it's had something to do with some kind of like spells somewhere I put around some kind of evil. I don't know exactly what it was. I forget what it is. There's a, there is an explanation from what I understand. Again, I am not uh, the book reader. I apologize to any of our Lord of the Rings book reader fans. I don't mean right. to. I don't say it because it's not like I. Ha- I've always meant to, but I, it's it, it's a time commitment. Exactly. Uh, and I, and I, I have read it. I have yeah. read it. I read it a few times. It's been a while. It's been a while since I've read. I haven't reread this since I was probably a good 10, 15, 15 years, probably. To be honest with you, I just remember that there is a reason why. So look up in the lore if you really do. I can't tell you here, but look it up. Look up in the lore. You'll find out the reason why the the uh, Eagles couldn't do it. Um, but anyway, the Eagles get Sam and Frodo. We all go back, and we all have our big, big reunion. Frodo wakes up, and this is part of what I mean. Frodo wakes up, and everybody's all happy to see him, which is great, and everything else. But where is Sam's moment? <laughs> Sam comes at the end. And he's like, "Yeah, I'm here still. I'm here still." <laughs> um, but you got the, the, the love he deserves. Just you get the uh, beginnings of the end of the ending, the sequences and stuff. We have Aragorn becoming king, getting crowned, getting Aragorn and singing Elvish. And you see they're reuniting with Arwen, which is a beautiful moment. Um, and we have one of the more beautiful moments in the saga when, like, Aragorn finally comes out and sees the four hobbits there, you know, and they bow down to him, and he has that great line, my friends, you bow, you bow to no one. <laughs> and, they, and then they bow to, ah! I started, well, I cry a lot in this film, not going to lie. <laughs> hey, man, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I Look, I get it. I constantly cry through a lot of the stuff that we watch, so, so I understand good. it. It's so good. Um <laughs> So this is the, you know, this has always been a hot topic since the movie came out. And the truth is, is like, yeah, the movie does end a lot at this point because it it becomes a series of epilogues and codas to, like, wrap the story up. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I've always found it works. Um, I think people are very hard on it because ultimately we've been on this journey for 12 hours or whatever at this point. I kind of want to see what happens to these characters. I want to see it wrapped up. So characters ending up in their rightful place is so great, which is why I love even Bilbo ends up in his rightful place. Like he gave up the ring. He aged horribly because of it, but now he's going off on one last adventure and it's like such a sweet little moment and it's so nice and it works. And like, again, this moment where Frodo finishes reading or writing, rather, Lord of the Rings, but then he tells Sam it's not quite done, and the like. He Sam is going to finish the story. What the? What a great moment! Because that, that just goes to show, Sam is the hero here. And maybe you know what? I, after after listening to that and watching it again, maybe they do understand that Sam's more the hero than we think. Uh, they just can't give it to him at that point. Somebody doesn't give him credit where credit's due. He is the one that returns. Um, it is a great moment. Like it's a very sad moment when we discover that Frodo can't. Uh, or Frodo's not. He can't stay because of his, his his injuries. The injury he got in Fellowship was never quite healed, and he has to go. And he's being afforded a great honor, like as a ring bearer, to go uh, to the land of the Undying with the elves, which nobody else can go to. All in the books. Again, I. If uh, I'm sorry if I get this wrong, I apologize. It's been a while since I read it, but I do think Gimli gets to go as well. So I know after after. Uh, Aragorn gets crowned, whatever. Frodo and uh, Gimli and Legolas go actually on adventures together. Uh, Gimli shows Legolas all like the great caverns of the world, the dwarven kingdoms, and uh, Gimli goes off with Legolas and sees all the the elven kingdoms and stuff. They have a good fun time together, I guess. 
um, which is I would love to see that be a Netflix. There's a there's a, a, a streaming yeah. s- series I want to see the adventure, the further adventures of Legolas and Gimli together. I, I'm all on board for that. Um, <laughs> but then I guess Gimli does get to go with Legolas uh, because they're, of their friendship uh, because of that. So when Legolas goes over to Dunland, Gimli goes with them as well. And I believe I don't really know, but I think Sam does eventually get to go because he was a ring bearer, even if it was temporary. Um, but at the end of the movie, we don't get that. Obviously, in the movie, he just lives his life out and marries Rosie Cotton. And I love the fact that he's his kids are his, actually his kids. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great actual family moment in that place. Um, and what a great way to end it on on those on Samwise getting that part and that great soundtrack. Uh, we never haven't mentioned the score, the uh, song at the end of the films. Um, no, we haven't actually. They're all really, really, they're really all good. really, really good. This is my favorite of the Annie Lennox into the West. I can play. I, I just just playing it. I, I might tear up a little bit, or at least get a little misty. Uh, it's emotional, at least. Uh, what a great series! What a great, great, great time. Um, yeah, it's just. Fucking I great. just continually find myself impressed, like especially in hindsight of watching this again the way we did. Like, as I said, these movies are all circling, or are twenty years old at least. Mm-hmm. And the impact that they had was so great. The filmmaking has withstood the test of time already. And we're already 20 years out. That bodes well. Like I would say even being born in 98 and discovering star Wars on VHS, the original mm-hmm. movies held up and they still yeah. do. I mean, there's dated stuff in it. Don't get me wrong. Right. But that's any, right. Yeah. But the movies and the storytelling and the magic continues to be there enough that it took me this long to finally go, you know what? This is actually the greatest trilogy of all time. Like actually front to back, the greatest trilogy of all time. Uh, I will always, I think I can, I can't put it over star Wars. I just won't ever be able to do it because of how star Wars affected me as a kid. Um, so it's, it's, I guess it's like the battle of hell. It's like the Helm's deep argument all over for me. Like star Wars came first for me. So it'll always be star Wars, but that being said, the fact that I'm putting Lord of the Rings in the same sentence as Star Wars should yeah. tell you something. It should tell you something. And look, this is not an easy thing for me either. But it, I, it I know was it just is. the truth of the matter in sitting there watching it, really studying it for this and sitting there going, you know what? There's something about like one director's one vision for this one trilogy being seen beginning to end the way they did. It just hits right. It just makes it that much more special. Jackson was a genius uh, yes. when it came to this. And look, I, I have my obvious feelings about The Hobbit and stuff, but the truth is is that no matter what, I'm always going to love Jackson. He is always going to be one of my favorite filmmakers because of what he was able to do here, what he's done with other movies. The Hobbit will always get a pass in my book, too. I mean, look, I like those movies more than I don't, but like, there is something incredibly special about what they did here. I fully 100% can't, can't, can't argue that it, it, it can't be touched. It's definitely a special moment. It's definitely got its spot there. And I'm so glad that Brandon Buckingham made us, gave us an excuse to watch the trilogy again, I will say. Um, before yeah, we start wrapping things up, we should get into it now. Let's get into that discussion as quick as, quick as can be. We rate them all at 11. If you had to go from worst to your favorite of these three films, can you do it? I mean, I can. I'm. I'm afraid to say anything because I feel like the internet's just going to come after me. Yeah, let them come. But I, I think it's one, two, three, um, and that's not a. That's not like a diminishing quality thing. It's the how attracted I am to the 
I, I think honestly, like any given day, it could probably change. Um, and I know that sounds like a cop out, and I don't mean it to, but it's like, especially now though, in watching it through, one holds my attention in such a specific, special way. And again, I think there's something about that first initial adventure, that first initial being in Middle Earth, that first feeling of horror. Like th- again, I think that there's something about Fellowship in particular that really quite stands out for me. Two Towers, though, is so close for me right after. Helm's Deep. Like, all the all the stuff in the Dead Marsh. Like, there's so much good stuff in Two Towers also that I still love it. Meeting, seeing Golem for the first time. Like, the Return of Gandalf. All of it's so good. And then there's Return of the King, which is also full of really great moments that I still love. And because they're all, like, kind of one movie, it all just kind of blends together in, like... A, I just want to love it all, and I don't even ever want to try to rank them. But if if I'm being objective right now in this moment, it's one, two, three, and that's just because one holds my attention in a very specific way, and the other two do as well. But like, there's something about Fellowship that I just keep going back to. That's absolutely fair. I can't argue that at all. Um, I will say. I asked you the question I wanted you to answer at first because I still don't really have an answer myself. Um, but I will say the funny thing about it. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I, no, I will get there. At the end of this At the end of this little statement or whatever, I will have my answer. I'm going to decide right now. But I will say the interesting part about it is before this watch through, Return of the King was my favorite. Um, and then I kind of – I think I went 3-1-2 generally speaking. Um, I, I always argue – Turning King had just too many of my favorite moments. That's why I was the first. I think the first was always the most consistent. Two Towers, I always felt bad. I was kind of gave excuses for Two Towers. I'm like, but still, Helm's Deep is still my favorite battle of the sequence. But after watching these three films again, and there is some some small bloatedness in Return of the King, um, I gotta say I've moved the Return of the King down to my least favorite now out of the three, which is insane for me to say. Insane for me yeah. to say. Um, I think I actually, there's a part of me that's going to go one, two, three, just like you. Although I'm trying to think if, if Helm's Deep can overtake the consistency of one, which it might in my head, cause I love so much of Helm's Deep. I think I got to go there. I think I, I think two, I think two towers is my favorite because I think it's two, one, three for me. So Helm's Deep is probably my favorite battle in the history of battles, including a lot of Star Wars stuff. And there's so much in there, especially in addition for, with Gimli and, and who I love. And Aragorn, Elegus, and that stuff. I, I, yeah, I got to go T one three. I, I had a feeling that's where you were going to go, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I think it's a very fair parry. Um, I mean, if I watch Fellowship of the Ring again right now, I think Fellowship, I'd probably go one two three. <laughs> Let's be honest. I, I, it is I, one I of those things. It's it's the fact that over time Fellowship just kept moving up because I think yeah. for the longest it was actually my least favorite. Um, Interesting. And it. I think it was two, three, one for the longest time. But as time has gone on, I keep going back to fellowship and I love it more and more and more and more until I was like, holy shit, what a perfect movie that I wish was. I wish all movies could be as perfect as fellowship of the ring. I don't blame. I don't blame you, man. I don't blame you. So there is some blurs and two tarot as well. I did notice that as well. I mean, if, 
I, if we stay on here for another 10 minutes, I'd be, I could be convincing myself to go one, two, three. Let's put it that way. Um, I know. But I, I will, did. I will hold off to two, one, three. At the end of the day, look, it doesn't really matter. They're all 11s and they're all great films. <laughs> that's what I was going to say is ultimately doesn't really matter, right? Because yeah. we love all of them. They're all hairs. good. Trying to rank Yeah. <laughs> it's like picking a favorite child. Oh my god! I can't believe it. I can't believe we actually did this. We actually made it to the end of the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, we will have to at some point um, go on to do the Hobbit trilogy. I think we said we would. We just didn't want to do it now because we have other things upcoming that we have to make room for. But I can't see us not everything back to it. And hey, maybe if you join the Patreon, you want us to do the Hobbit movies, you can join the Patreon and, and suggest that we have to do it at that point. <laughs> yeah, speaking. Of Patreons. We should do that. Join Patreon.com slash PLD. Fuck Frodo. <laughs> slash PLD projects where you can be like Brandon Buckingham and assign us a uh, trilogy to watch. Luckily, he said in the middle of saga, but then he actually said, I really care only about Lord of the Rings. That's why we were able to do this. Um, but we do have some great patrons and join us. We do some extra content. I'm sorry I didn't get to do our extra Doctor Who episode this month. Things happen scheduling wise, just made it impossible. Although, with other scheduling things happening, we might have more time to be able to do it soon, so that'd be kind of a cool thing for us to do. Um, maybe we'll even one month upcoming soon, maybe we'll do a bonus two episodes in one month to kind of make up for this one, maybe. I just yeah. kind of came up with that in the spot, off the spot, but I kind of feel like you'd be okay with that. Um, <laughs> it's Doctor Who. It's not hard to talk about. Exactly. So we will do, at some point in the near future, not not next month, maybe not the next month after, but in the fall, we will make up for it by doing an extra Doctor Who episode uh, in the Patreon. Um, we're also going to do more Hangouts. We're also going to do more, I might start doing my Queen content stuff with you guys as well, and we're going to do a watch through at some point. We'll get all these things done. I appreciate you guys. Uh, Brandon Buckingham, I'm going to throw again. I've thrown his name out a bunch. He's the one that did this, but I also want to throw out the names of Danielle Ramirez, uh, Brandy Parker, Jeff Alterman, John Lestrina, Kelly W. Thank you so much, you guys, and all the rest of my patrons as well. I could not do this without you. You guys let me. Uh, this is All your money goes back into this podcast, into the different uh, recording things, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I, I really appreciate the great uh, chat we have. It's a great positive experience for everybody in there. Um, I love I love all you guys. I really do. It's, it's, it's been wonderful to have you uh, on our side. Let's talk about what's coming up. Maybe something uh, back to a little bit of a lighter take. Hopefully, you guys will uh, be able to use us as a distraction from the world. Um, we do have some always excellent stuff coming up. I we finished. I finished the first season of Queen's uh, the uh, Crown Jewels podcast. I do talking about Queen and going through their catalog. Um, I'm taking a couple weeks off, and I will get back into Queen Two finally, which is the next album. Uh, I have a lot of fun with that podcast. Hopefully, you guys are having fun as well. I know John Lestrina likes it a lot. He's been telling me about it. Lestrina likes a lot of things. He does, and I, I appreciate his tell. He actually tells me about it. I do. Like it and everything else, and I appreciate him um, specifically about that. Of course, every week we get class action. You just saw PG on there yesterday, I believe, unless something happened. We don't know because that's in the future for us to pass for you. Uh, class action with Richard Jarvie and Maddie Gunner, where we take two things and put them up against each other. Uh, like, like this this week was John Carter Marr versus Prince of Persia. Sometimes it's films, sometimes it's franchises, sometimes it's actors, sometimes it's a lot of different things that we do. We put them up against each other, get in categories and determine who's the winner. It's a lot of fun we have on that. It's on my YouTube channel on PLD Projects. And, of course, let's talk about it. We are we have finished Lord of the Rings. We do have we do owe Danielle Ramirez a, a choice soon, but we are going to do that after our next franchise because we are going to get ahead of the game. There's a certain film coming out in October um, called Halloween Ends. And dun, dun, dun. And this whole podcast kind of started partially out of our love of horror movies, even though we've done some non-horror movies. Um, this is 
we talked about doing a Halloween watch through and doing that was part of our whole big discussion when we started making this podcast. Well, it's time. We're going to start now. Um, we, want to give it all- we, we went through the conjuring and then we decided, look, guys. It's time. It's time. We, we, we did our little warm up. Now it's time. The truth be told is that we actually obviously had some issues being weekly as much as we'd like. We'd love to be weekly. We try to be weekly. We try to do as best as we can. We actually have some scheduling issues here and there. We want to start now um, so that we can get to Halloween Ends. When Halloween Ends comes out in the theater, we can go watch Halloween Ends and do a, a broadcast right after. That's the goal. And we want to give ourselves a little bit of a, a wiggle room. So if we have to skip a week for scheduling, we can do it and, and still make it on time. But we will return after that with some stuff from Danielle uh, and some other patrons as well. And that should be a lot of fun. Um, I can't wait to do Halloween, though. I'm so stoked to do Halloween where I've been talking. But I read that I've been reading the books, Taking Shapes. Um, I wish I could give the author's credit now. I don't have it off the top of my head, but I will next week when we do Halloween. Originally, we're going to talk about the Lost sequels. We're going to talk about some of the films, like the, the development of the films. This is going to be a lot, a lot of fun. I love my I'm, uh, I'm ordering the books as we sit here, actually, because oh, I realize I should probably have them in time for this. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and literally doing this as we sit here. I love it. I love it. You're ready to go. I love it. You're going to be ready to go anyway. It's a great, they're both great books. They're all, uh, Taking Shape, Taking Shape 2 is a, and I'll talk about the Lost sequels. Very fascinating discussion we had. Um, but John Carpenter's Halloween 1978 is just fucking awesome. I can't wait to talk uh, about it. I mean, look, Halloween is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, it, it may, I have a list, and I, I think I'm going to work on something with this, but I, I have a list of 150 movies I think everyone needs to see before they die, but I actually think I'm going to try to amend it to like, Lord, all three Lord of the Rings movies are on there, and I really count that as one movie versus. It's cheating, you know. But I appreciate three. it, and I prove it's that it's cheating. But <laughs> it's the same thing with Star Wars because, truthfully, I think you should watch all three. Um, so to me, they all count as one movie. But Halloween is the original. Halloween is the only of the Halloween series to make that list. Uh, I think it. We're we're gonna get into it, so I don't really need to talk about it. But I think it really stands the test of time, and I think it stands as one of the great horror films of all time. I, I know there's a lot of people in the world, and I see this take a lot from younger kids who are – younger generations, rather, not kids. But talk about this idea that Halloween hasn't really aged that well, and I'm very convinced that it has actually more to do with the way that they intake their content now and how content is made, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. Like, Halloween is a slow burn of a horror film, but it's also – wildly effective for its time and i think people need to remember that you have to have watched it as if you were in 1978 watching this for the first time um so i'm very excited because i love the franchise and the the fun thing is is that halloween more than any other franchise i'm aware of becomes the choose your own adventure if you will about the timelines and i'm very excited to jump into that and talk about the different timelines that exist because there's quite a few and they're very specific Mm -hmm. um and it's going to be very fun to kind of jump in and talk about all of that because you know it all stems from the first one but everyone since has been like a offshoot timeline of sorts that will run for a set of movies before another set of movies etc etc there's going to be a lot to talk about i mean this franchise was rebooted only to get sequelized again later like, that's how crazy the Halloween franchise is, is that someone rebooted it, made a sequel to that reboot, and then someone rebooted it again as a sequel to the original. This this, this franchise is pretty nuts. I can't wait to get into it, talking about it with you as well. Um, 
I want to. People are going to find us insufferable. By the way, once we get to Halloween Kills, we have to probably two the only people who I can I know of that really actually really like that film. Brandon Hannah is a third. I know that much. We might actually have to reach out to Hannah. We might actually have to reach out to Hannah. Maybe we might have to. Brandon Hannah, a friend, a friend of podcast. First, first time we've ever been like, look, we should invite people on, which is going to make Jess mad because she was yelling at me for (laughs) the fact that we didn't have her on for the fucking Lord of the Rings movies because they were made in New Zealand. Well, sorry, Jess, but <laughs> guess what? Uh, Brandon Hanna, uh, come on down. You're the next contestant on The Price is <laughs> right. right. I'm going to throw something at you on air, and maybe we'll cut this or not, but uh, you mentioned the 150 movies that you want to see, that people should see before they die. I almost feel like that's a podcast waiting to happen. I almost feel like that's something we could do additionally at some point. I, I actually, you know what? I'll say this. It's funny you say that. Because I've been having shower thoughts, and I'll, I'll just say this out loud. As I don't hear a lot to talk about shower thoughts, but okay, go ahead. No, no, no. no. The, <laughs> the, the kind of shower thoughts where you start to mull over things because right. your life is in transition, and you're trying to figure out your, what you want to do. Right. And I, I started to think that there's this, an idea of like doing a podcast about that, but also writing something to go with it. Mm, okay. Okay. Um, so I'm mulling over how I want to tackle it because I do. I think there's a world where I want to do something like that. Um, I think it could be very fun and very interesting. And I really – I need to look over the list again and, like, really curate it down. Yeah, I never, never made I a list. Do. So I've never made a list, actually. It was, like, something that kind of geared me to think maybe that would be kind of a cool thing to look at and do. But. Yeah, so it's something I, I think I want to sit with a little bit to make sure the list is exactly what I want it to be before I go on that journey. Fair enough. But I, it, of course, look, the truth of the matter is, is once I get to it, there was only one person I was going to talk to about wanting to do this. <gasps> so it, the truth is, is that in my mind, I've already thought about this because that's already a three year podcast yeah. if we are doing it weekly. Yeah. Um, It's going to be a commitment. It's going to be a lot of time. Yeah. And some of it, to be honest, is going to be retreading. Yeah. Um. But it's going to be a different type of conversation. So yeah. I think that there's a good, good, there's a good basis there that I'd really like to dive into. So yes, I would it feels like, like it's more of a structured thing. That like, this is obviously these too many different ways you've done film is much more of a free flow conversation about the film. This seems like it'd be more more of a structured thing. What we're going for, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, it would because it would be more about focusing on the one thing that we're talking about and why. Why we're ch- why I chose it, why it's important, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So there's a future where we will look into doing more uh, with that. But I think it'd be a lot of fun, and yeah. I think there's a lot to mine in that. And the, the thing that I love the most about an idea like this, like we're already doing it here. I'm I'm enjoying that we're talking about movies that we really love, and we're trying to bring light to certain things that maybe people aren't paying attention to, but. My hope with the 150 is also to put stuff on people's radar that they are not paying attention to or that they've thought about and then, like, looked the other way. And it's not going to be a lot of the stuff you guys might expect a lot of the time. Like, I'm not going to put Basket Case on there. Basket Case is for this. Two Mediocre White Dudes is for movies like Basket Case. Not that I don't love Basket Case. (laughs) Belial will strike you down. (laughs) However, should there be a sequel type thing later down the line? 150 more movies? There's a world where I start to transition that from things I think people should see to stuff that you've overlooked because it was looked at a different way. Right. Uh, I could say Basket Case would be on there. I could say something like Waterworld would be on there. Um, 
things that would be the kind of things that I would put on a list where I'm like, I just want you to watch it because I think that it sums up a decade or a time. Like Rocky four would be on that list. Oh yeah. Specifically Rocky four because mm-hmm. Rocky four is a time capsule movie. I think I've said it on here before. There's something very specific about that movie that captures the eighties. Yes. A hundred percent. And I think that there's something as a, there's very something fascinating about that movie to talk about and dive into in that capacity. Uh, we're like going so off track on this and we've already finished talking about Lord of the Rings. I apologize, guys, but you know, here we are. I guess you gotta, you know how Lord of the Rings has multiple endings? Guess our podcast had to have one too. Had to be. Had to be our extended edition. Uh, yeah, so you get a it. whole epilogue here. Uh, you got the prologue and the epilogue. We, we went full Return of the King for you guys. We did. Just for you guys, man. Just for you guys. So, you know, uh, if you guys have any interest in the 150 movies, like, let me know. I think it's something that I'd like to work on and if I have the right people behind it and people really want to like dive in and listen to it, I would be super interested to actually pursue that. So yeah. that's a great idea. Well, all righty, my friend, where can the folks find you? Uh, Twitter, Instagram, PJ underscore Campbell. And Hey, we write questions at the movie trivia showdown. Be nice to the question writers. We're only human. That's true. It's been a good season. I'm, yeah, I'm okay. excited to see where it goes. I hope you guys have been enjoying it. Um, yeah. thank you guys always for all the support. Um, it means the world. It does. To both of us. It really, it really does. does. So it thank really, you. It really does. Uh, you can find me at Paul and Gordon News on Twitter. All the other podcasts I mentioned before, the PLD Projects Network. You can also find me on Action Industries. Some of the times I've been getting lax lately, but scheduling wise, you know, myself and Ben Bateman and Andrew Guy doing a lot of stuff. Andrew Guy having two feature films debut himself. Congratulations, Ben, on his music tour. Congratulations. But I still work with those boys on Action Industries stuff as well. Um, and like I said, you can find me here every week on PLD Projects. I hope you guys have appreciated our, our, our output and hopefully you'll join us on patreon.com slash PLD Projects. Let us know. Let us know what we want to hear. Let us know what we want to talk about because we're always looking for more content. Um, and 150 movies just sound like a good idea. So I'm, I'm all yeah, in. Well, so. well I, I think we we have something to explore now. Definitely. To be honest. Well, we will find out soon. Until next time, though, of course, always stay mediocre, my friends. Stay mediocre. Never underestimate the power of mediocrity. And fuck the Sotis. Oh, <laughs> safe. <laughs>